Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Everybody just wants to be contented. Everyone wants to be happy. Right now is the most important moment. It's just so unfair on every child who doesn't have options. It's amazing how many unintelligent people look. They're astonished at it. What is the matter with these people? We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Yeah, I wasn't actually watching the match. I got it would be. I wasn't watching the game uh, yesterday. I was doing a bit of work actually uh, Sunday afternoon at home. But I'll tell you this: I saw the film last night. I saw the various video clips of what happened after that match yesterday, and it's all over your your front papers or front pages of your papers this morning as well. And I tell you this much, lads: if it was my son that that was done to, right? I mean, I'm looking front page of the mirror. It looks just, just awful. He's got a hold of his face in a vice grip. It's just awful. And the same with, well, there's many other papers have got that this morning. Pictures inside and outside the papers of what happened at the end of that match yesterday. i tell you this much. If it was my son that that was done to, or any son of mine, or nephew of mine, or anyone belonged to me, I would have been down with him in the Garda station last night making a statement and I would have been in this morning to our solicitor uh, making a civil statement as well. It was just bonkers. Absolutely bonkers and I sincerely hope something is done about it because if it isn't, it sends out all the wrong messages to families with children who go to Ga and love it on a Saturday and a Sunday morning. It sends out all the wrong messages to those little kids about sport and what sport is about and what being part of a team is about. I'd love your thoughts actually on what happened at the end of the match but but that is what I would do. I would have if that lad was a son of mine who got that done to him, I'd have had him down the Garda station faster than you could say Jack Snap because I wouldn't tolerate it. I just wouldn't tolerate it. Good morning 0818 96 96 96 083 396 96 96. Your email is opinion at 96fm.ie. It's more like March than the end of June. I was walking up Patrick's Hill this morning and it was a lovely, bright, sunny morning, but it actually felt more like March than the end of June. Here's hoping for an improvement in the days to come because it got right cold over the weekend. Front page of your Echo as you pick it up and this is a story we've touched on many times over the last couple of months and indeed going back nearly a year at this stage before we first or when we first looked at it. Uh, Dr John Sheehan, good morning. GP surgeries including your own full now. You just can't take anybody else on. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, yeah that's unfortunately the, the reality, PJ. Um, it, this is a problem that's been happening for a number of years, but it's getting worse. And unfortunately, it's probably going to get worse over the next few years. And there's many reasons for it, PJ. Um, you know, we all talked last week about the population increasing. In, in my lifetime, the population of Ireland has, has nearly doubled. And that's great. And now we have the highest life expectancy in Europe and people are living longer and, you know, that, that's all very good. But, but there's an increased demand for GP services mm-hmm. then as a result. And the number of GPs, there's 
There's a huge number of GPs due to retire over the next five to seven years. And we're, we've increased the training, PJ. I teach in the UCC training, GP training program, and we've gone from 12 to 22 um, GP trainees that we're taking in every year. Right. But even allowing for that, there's still a big shortage. And you can see it in particularly in rural areas and say, towns like McCrew now, where people just can't get a doctor. Yeah. Um, that's the, and then people have increased. I'll just bear with um, your line so, there for a moment, you know, John. Line isn't the best, just bear with it for a second. You're saying there are lots of towns like McCroom now where the GP surgeries are just completely full and no one can get a get a doctor. That's correct. And, you know, this is going to increasingly happen. And where, 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 we, where you see it first, PJ, is in the rural areas where um, a GP retires and then he's this, the, the, the list is advertised and they can't fill the list. And there's been a number of, of situations in Tipperary and in other areas where they just haven't been able to fill um, the list of the retiring doctor because the, the practices are, are, you know, they're, they're, they're lovely areas and lovely, you know, lovely practices. But what's happening is increasingly newer doctors coming out find that if I go there, I won't be able to get a locum. I won't be able to take my holidays. Yeah. And my own, own system there was a GP in rural Limerick and she had to cancel her holidays there you know, before because she couldn't get a locum. And this is affecting not just medical card patients but private bookings as well. Uh, to bust that myth it's not just a medical card that can't get an appointment, it's everybody now. Oh it's, a, it's, every, it's everyone because um, you, you know to be fair to the patients that you have you, you know, you have an obligation to them. So you, you can't keep taking on more and more patients. You have to look after the, the, the patients that you have. And like the good thing, PJ, is that we're doing an awful lot more in general practice now. We've chronic disease management. We manage most of our patients with diabetics, women's health, smears, vaccinations. So there's a lot being done more in general practice. But that means then that you can't keep taking more and more patients on. You have to look after the, you know, the patients you have. So you, you've only, it's like a school. You've, you've only so much capacity in mm. terms of your ability to look after patients. And then you need more doctors to, to do that. Now, there are a number of positives. I mean, there are, our GP trainees in Cork here for the last few years, they're all staying around virtually. Well, one or two might go away. But for the, for the vast majority, they're all staying around. Um, so that's, that's good. But we need an awful lot more of them and we need to come up with some other solutions, particularly in rural areas. And the HSE, I think, have to start coming up with sort of a bit more inventive solutions to, to solve some of these manpower uh, crises. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of their solutions, PJ and Tipperary, was to advertise the list um, 13 times when they got no applicants. And then on the 14th, a time it was advertised, somebody applied. And that's not really a practical solution. And there are things that they can do. I know they, you know, these have been suggested a number of times. We have a 40-year-old contract, we, you know, in terms of support, in yeah. terms of providing. It's not particularly about money. It's about providing sort of support and sort of um, structures that will encourage uh, newer GPs to go to some of these uh, areas. Yeah. Um, and, you know, having them linked up with bigger practices, having them in terms of support, in terms of the out-of-hours, because what you're finding now, PJ, and I know you've talked about South Dock many times, South Dock is becoming the GP service for a lot of patients who just can't get a doctor. Yeah. I was working in South Dock yesterday, and I saw a number of patients who just had no doctor, and South Dock was becoming their GP. And that's not sustainable then in terms of an out-of-hour service, Indeed. because it's not good medicine in terms of follow-up and things like that, you know. So there there are a number of challenges there, and... Um, 
I'm sure a lot of your listeners just find it hard, you know, when they go to a new area, they, they try to register with a GP, they can't get one, and they have to, they end up commuting back to their, their you know, their town correct. Uh, to get their GP, and that's, that's, correct. that's, that's, that's mm-hmm. not good for anyone, you John, know. John, a, a question that was raised previously, and, and maybe you've a thought on it, I understand that most, if not all, GPs are self-employed, and that the practice is your own business. Would there be a case to be made for GPs actually being employed in a health centre by the, by the HSE and paid a salary so that when you go on your holidays, it's the HSE's job to find someone to replace you, not yours? Oh, absolutely. And I think I, I think that gets back to the, the point. There should be a variety of solutions. And, and, and I think... For a lot of our graduates, that would that would certainly be very appealing, and it may suit in certain areas or remote areas and things like that. So I think we should have a variety of mm. uh, of, of different models. Because I might um, suggest, I, John, I, I that some of the great. people in training at the moment, and I understand it's quite extensive training as well after you leave college to become a GP, and you'd expect that. I can imagine that some people that that you're training went in thinking, well, I want to be a doctor. I'm not interested in running a business, talking to an accountant, dealing with this. I want to be a doctor. Yeah, totally. And and, and I think it will be very, very attractive. And increasingly, um, PJ, like there's a, there's a GP shortage in the UK and Canada and Australia, and they're trying to recruit our, our, our doctors. So we need to put in structures that makes it more attractive for our GPs who generally want to stay and work in Ireland. I mean, I, I think it's one of the best jobs in the world. If I was 18 again, I'd do it again in the morning. But we need to look at how we're how we're doing it. We have the same contract since 1972, PJ. Yeah. The world yeah. has changed an awful lot since then. And, you know, coming up with some of these solutions, they're not rocket science. It's not particularly any extra money or anything like that. It's showing a bit of imaginative thinking mm. about how we can solve some of these shortages. Mm. One of my colleagues, Fiona Kelly, who's a GP down in Castletown Bear, she's spoken a lot about this. You know, she, she you know, out in the peninsula, she loves the job, but... You know, she had to go back early after having her baby because she couldn't get a locum. She, you know, she, she, South Dock is, is very stretched out there in the peninsula. So they need to start coming up with solutions. And to be fair to the HSE, um, the primary care bit of it is looking at things and trying to come up with ideas to try to help things. I, I certainly have seen a bit of a, a culture shift there in the last couple of years. So that is one positive thing. I feel one of the good things that has come out of, out of COVID, PJ, is that sense of, um, I suppose that we're all working to try to get a better solution to things. And that, that's one of the positive things that I do see mm. coming from, from COVID. So hopefully more solutions will come up because um, our over 80s are doubling in the next 10 years, PJ, and our over 65s are doubling in the next 20. So that is fantastic. But the increased demand for service is just yeah. going to get more and more over the next few years. And John, in, in your other life, you're a, a local politician, which means you've got good political connections. Anything happening up the line politically. And what I mean by that is, is there an understanding up the line of this problem or are you banging your head off a stone wall? No, I, I think there is because um, the Minister for Health was down in Cork there a number of weeks ago and we had a meeting with him and we highlighted this. But all over the country, this is this this is happening. You know, it's happening in Dublin in the, in the newer areas. It's happening in Donegal and Galway. So certainly... Um, you know, I, th- I think politicians are aware of that and the political establishment are, are, are aware of it. And the number of people training in general practice is nearly doubling now. So that has certainly is beginning to begin to help. But that will take a, a number of years. And then they're looking at trying to come up with some other solutions and also what could be done by others. For instance, we have a scheme here now 
where the the ambulance service with, with one of the A&E doctors sometimes comes out and assesses people or the paramedics assess people and don't bring them into hospital if they're stable. And that sometimes is yeah. might require a catheter change or something. And that's fantastic. So those sort of innovative solutions make a difference that someone doesn't end up on a trolley in A&E. Oh, so yeah. they are beginning to look at things, but we need a lot more. A lot to be, a lot to be done. Okay, John, thank you very much. Dr. John Sheehan, of course, uh, Fianna Fáil City Councillor also. Thanks, John. 0818 96, 96, 96 on that GAA match. Kate, were you watching? Good morning. Yes, and normally I don't because I love the rugby, so I can compare both. If you did that on a rugby pitch, you'd be thrown off, you'd be sin-binned, you could actually be banned for governor matches. Yes, you'd be cited, you'd have to go before a disciplinary committee, yes. Yeah, and you could actually not play for the rest of the season. I mean, where was the ref? Was the ref in the, was he actually in the, in the fight as well? Because there were so many people fighting. I just kind of, I said, what is going on here? Like, it was an absolute disgrace to GA. And I think, actually, do you know what? I should, the two teams should be just thrown out of it and let another crowd come in. That wouldn't be long softening their cough. And maybe, you know, people might think again. I think it's gone completely bonkers because I've seen it in other matches. But that was extremely violent yesterday. It was. It was. And that like, was like so I said at the start, the if it was a son of mine, I'd had him down yeah. the guard the station last night yeah. making a statement and I'd be in my, my solicitor's office this morning. It's now today and yeah. it's the worst PR I have ever seen for the GA. It is. Kate, thank yes. you for your call. We much appreciate Bye. that. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Uh, 0818 96 96 96. <sighs> yeah. Uh, your thoughts on that one, and particularly on what Dr. Sheehan was saying. Also, were you in Blarney Street uh, over the weekend? Now, it was late at night, and I saw this video going around yesterday. It was on 25th June, which would be, what, early hours of Saturday morning, at around 10 to 3 in the morning, up near the Joshua Tree. There was a very nasty collision between a vehicle and others. There was a few cars parked uh, and this car just seemed to whirl out of control and bang into uh, other vehicles there, just near the Joshua Tree. Uh, and then there was no reports of any injuries and no arrests made at the time. Guard, the press office says there are investigations. You might have seen the film, uh, the video going around on social media over the weekend. Horrific. I was just thinking if anybody there, 10 to 3 in the morning, people who've been out for a night out, can you imagine if you were walking up Blarney Street in the wrong place at the wrong time? You would have been killed stone dead if you were there Saturday night or early hours of Saturday morning. Awful. 0818 96 96 96. Now, a lot of people are away or heading away soon, heading overseas. You don't have to forget about it for the fortnight. What you need to do is if you've got a smartphone or a tablet, download the app. And you can listen to us live, or you can listen to all our digital streams, or you can catch up on our podcasts from the Opinion Line on your smart speaker, on your phone, on your tablet. So before you go on holidays, download the app. You do that for me. And then if you're by the pool next week and you have something to say, well, WhatsApp is free from anywhere in the world at 083 396 Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Flying you through your afternoons in Cork with all the best tunes, latest news, trending stories, and it really is a summer of concerts on Lee Side. I've got the tickets for you. Did you enjoy the gig? Oh my God, outstanding. I would go to another one tonight if I could afford to. You sound a little bit hoarse there. Uh. A little bit, yeah. I kind of did try and sing a few songs, not that I'm very good. In the Hall of Fame! <laughs> <laughs> 
Simon Murdoch, midday to 4 p.m. With Ford Gosh Energy, a summer boiler service keeps you warm in the winter. So get a great deal with FordGoshEnergy.ie. On Cork's 96FM. Your thoughts particularly about that disgraceful scene at the end of the match yesterday. Um, it just, it, it spoiled the whole game, what had been a spectacular game. It's spoiled it totally. I will be talking to the new Lord Mayor of Cork, Councillor Ford later in the hour and also coming up this morning, Charlie Bord. Remember the climb with Charlie thing that they did on the 2nd of April? That's been an enormous success and a book has uh, come out of it which is going on sale for charity this week and Charlie has done an interview with me for the Opinion Line using his new voice, uh, his new electronic voice and we'll hear that uh, later in the morning. 0818 96 96 96. But first, Barbara, your son's driving test was, was, was cancelled. What happened? Yeah, hi, PJ. Yeah, so we'd, we'd booked him in a couple of, maybe about two months ago for his driving test and uh, everything going ahead and, you know, getting the, the extra lessons and getting ready for it. And just got an email there on Saturday morning to say it's cancelled. And it was cancelled for unforeseen circumstances. Now, he's not due to sit it for three weeks. Yeah. Um, so we just thought, well, how is it unforeseen if, if you're cancelling it now? And I suppose the thing about it is, I suppose the, the, the thing that caused us the annoyance was we were, we were he was quite upset about it because he's kind of geared up. You know, it's it's quite a, it's like the leave insert or maybe it's next to the leave insert. It's a very traumatic kind yeah. of experience. And he was all kind of geared up for it. And I suppose it was just... Um, you know, they put out the calendar. We picked the date and time for a specific reason. Um, and we booked a car for it because he doesn't have a car and he's applying for jobs now at the moment. He's just finished college. And just to kind of cancel it like that. And there's no kind of information, you know, will it be booked again? When will it be booked again? Uh, yeah. Do we have to go on the bottom of the list again? Um, and we were just annoyed about it initially. And then we got very annoyed about it. Because when we had to look, you can't re- reply to the email. Um, and when we had to look on the website, we couldn't find any contact numbers. So there was no way yeah. we could actually speak to somebody. Um, and I think that kind of, you know, felt, well, look, there's no respect here. Like you, we've booked this thing, we've paid for it. And now you just cancel it and we have to just kind of suck it up. Yeah. So it was, it, it was very annoying. And yeah. it was first thing Saturday morning. So yeah. You know, the weekend was covered and somebody sent out that email, you know. With, with with your permission, I'll go through some of the details of what's in it. It was the driving test was set up for Tuesday, 12th July at 8.25am in Skibbereen. And then, yeah. like you said, unforeseen circumstances or because you're not yet eligible. Well, actually, it is due to unforeseen circumstances, then they say. Test may be yes. cancelled at short. Okay, test may be cancelled at short notice because of severe weather, or if a driver tester suddenly becomes unavailable. It's three weeks away. Yeah, like I could understand it better if it was, you know, short notice because you know life happens and yes. people get sick and and. But it was the fact that it's not really unforeseen, is it? No, it's and three weeks away. It's three weeks away, and you know, I suppose if you were a business or whatever, you wouldn't put that email out to your customers to say that. You, you know, you'd first of all, you'd probably talk to them, then you'd probably offer them another date. You know, it's just the lack of. We're sitting yeah. here now; we don't know what's happening. It says, "Don't, don't worry, you won't when. lose your fee." Oh, let's speak of them. You won't lose your fee or your place in the queue. Well, you've just lost your place in the queue. 
We have, because I presume everybody else has booked all the other dates now yeah. in the intervening whatever number of months. So uh, the, the thing is, we don't know. And yeah. I suppose that's the frustration. It's, and I just thought it was can, very disrespectful. It, it, it's, it's, it says you can go into myroadsafety.ie and check for appointments. Have you done that? I haven't done it yet at the minute, but what I did notice was we were, I suppose we were looking for, you know, can we email somebody here? And my, my husband kind of got, got onto it and he spent probably an hour on the website and he found the customer charter. And when he downloaded it, there was a phone number and an email in there. So we rang the number and they weren't working over the weekend. Um, so somebody sent out the email but nobody was working so we did send there was an, an email address there for complaints so yes. we did send a complaint so normally what happens is this is that they will send you an invite so you can't really book anything until they send you an invite and then when when you get the invite then you go back you can pick your dates again mm. and you're back in the system again so we, we haven't had an invite so far yeah and and does your son need the test urgently well, the thing is, you know, he's he's looking for roles now at the moment and he's applying for jobs and, you know, a lot of them, most of them, to be fair, will require or do require a, a driving test. And, you know, with COVID and everything, he was due to do it in, back in 2020 and with all the, the messing over the last few years, he's, you know, he's he's probably one of, one of the few now of his, his age group that don't have it. And, and he does need it. I mean, we're, we're in Clonakilty, so it's, you know, it's not easy to get around if you don't have a car. Um, and so on. So, you know, he does need to get it and he's trying to move on and kind of plan some things with his life. And it's just, I suppose for us, it was really the lack of transparency and the lack of information and just the fact that you can send out an email on a Saturday morning and and there's no accountability. No there's no responsibility, no nothing. You can't talk to anybody or, you know, I just thought that was bad. Okay. And I suppose they're young people. Maybe they think young people will just suck it up or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, they shouldn't have to. Thanks, Barbara. That's Barbara Nugent, who's actually president of Network Cork Ireland. But that's about her son who's driving. Now, I wonder if this has happened to anybody else. So her son had his driving test cancelled by email. Now, he's not due to sit it until the 12th of July, which is is at least a fortnight tomorrow. Is it three weeks tomorrow? Uh, it is at least a fortnight. I think it's... Yeah, it's a fortnight... Anyway, yes, it is a fortnight. Yeah, fortnight tomorrow. It's a fortnight tomorrow. It was he was due to have it at Skibbereen Testing Centre at eight twenty-five in the morning, and this is due to unforeseen circumstances. We apologise for the inconvenience. Unforeseen. Two weeks out. What could it be? Has that happened to anybody else? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. This was quite a sad story. Uh, I was. Just watching it over the weekend, Debbie O'Neill has appealed for the return of her son's iPad. Luke has autism and this iPad is his voice. It's a very special, specially programmed iPad. He is non-verbal and the iPad is his voice. It's not like you can go into a shop and get him another one. This is a very special iPad. And, and it's also got pictures of his favourite places to go, the food he likes to eat. And for a, a little boy with autism, all these things are so important. And he, he associates it with everything. How he talks to his parents, how he talks to his teachers. It is his voice. The iPad is his way of communicating with the world. And they lost it. They lost it. 
Um, they were on a school trip to Cove from the Cara School in Mayfield and it went missing. This was uh, on uh, Thursday. It went missing and they still haven't found it. So if you were in Cove Thursday and you happened to find an iPad lying around, it could have been left in a cafe, it could have been left on a seat, it could have been left anywhere. If you happen to find an iPad... That's not just any <clears throat> any old iPad. It's a crucially important iPad. It is a voice for this little boy. And you know what I'll say here and now? If you found that iPad and you thought, hey, I've, I've struck it lucky. Or if you found that iPad and thought, you know what? I'd, I'd take that home now and mind it or something. Or if you just put it into the back of the car and forgot all about it. It would be brilliant if you could find it. So it was Cove... Thursday, during a trip by the Cara School to Cove. So if you were any business in Cove, a shop that you had the Cara lads in, or anywhere, if you come across the iPad, it would be brilliant to be able to return it to Luke. Because it is his voice, it's his way of communicating with the world. On the eye-gouging incident, caller says, I witnessed two violent incidents, details with Fergal, and I went to the committees, and I went to the guards, and nothing happened. That's disgraceful. And one of them involved a pregnant woman. You see? It's, it's gone very bad. It's gone very bad. And, and th- 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 it's all over the newspaper. And you know what? This is our national game. These are our national games. And the front page of the Irish Daily Mirror has a shocking picture of it. A really shocking picture of it. And that was no messing. Like, that was nasty, what was done there. And it's, it's all through the other papers as well. They all have pictures of it, inside and out. And there's commentary in the sports columns. And in fairness, some of the sports columnists hitting out big time. Uh, is she there, Fergal? Okay. Eileen, good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you? Great. This is Eileen Keane from Jumpstamp Your Confidence. I was talking earlier on, Eileen, about, you know, kids who go out on a Saturday and Sunday morning training and loving their sport, loving their ga. This this is being displayed to them as what will happen when they grow up. Well, it's very sad, isn't it, really, just to see it. And I suppose, you know, this has to be used as an example. I mean, they need to come down in this instance like a ton of bricks. If the kids don't see boundaries and if they don't see repercussions for actions like this what are we teaching them you know i suppose social media unfortunately a lot of the time has normalized a lot of behavior which isn't normal and isn't isn't acceptable i saw that on social media ah it's a man's game grow up that's so nonsense that's saying, so that's saying uh, if a man's game you're allowed to behave like this how ridiculous is yeah. it's very careful told the kids that it's not acceptable yeah. He has to take over and come down on this guy who did this. As you say, it was a very intentional incident. You know, he went for this guy's eyes. That's his life. It's not like someone gives someone a belt. Not that I'm saying that's okay. But to go and actually go into someone's eyes, such a dangerous thing to do and a very intentional thing to do. I genuinely feel this guy should have to publicly apologise to the nation, really, because it's our national sport, as said, and it's really left everybody down. And show these young kids it's just not on. And to be honest, I'd advise every household, you know, have the conversation with your kids. Get mm. them to have an opinion on it. Let them speak up about it. And then go in with your of respect. And if it was your brother or if it was someone you knew, how would you react to this? Let yeah. them talk about it and let them learn that it's unacceptable on every level. 
treat another human being like that. I don't care if they're on a pitch, if they're on the side of a road, where they are. But it's that lack of respect. Well, you see, Aline, if you were down in Oliver Plunkett Street on a Saturday night, outside any given premises, and you did that to a fella, you could end up in the district court on an assault charge. That's just the truth of it. Which is where you should end up. You see, if we don't have strong boundaries and strong repercussions, kids are getting away with it, you know? If without boundaries, they're of an age where they do push, push, push. So it is up to the adults involved here in every aspect, whether it's court, as I said, or on the street. The adults and the police and whoever's involved are the people who have to get these repercussions and boundaries in place. Know that it's just not it's not, it's not on at all. I mean, that, that's an awful telephone line. I wish it was better, but we'll, we'll thank you for that. That's Eileen Keane. Um, and I know, look, I'm not exactly someone who's steeped in the GAA. Uh, I, I come from a strong Nemo family, but, you know, at the same time, I'm not exactly steeped in it. But I know in my heart that none of the people that I know, none of my relatives, my <clears throat> cousins, my friends, none of them, would consider this to be acceptable. There were some people last night saying, ah, look, you know, fellas get head up in the heat at the moment. That's not enough. That's not good enough. You get head up. You, you, you deal with your being head up. Deal with it. Learn to deal with it. And if you can't deal with it, don't be down the, the pitch. And they shouldn't have been left onto the pitch. He wasn't even playing. He's a member of one of the panels, but he wasn't even playing. He wasn't even selected. Why was he on the pitch? To me, it seems like the GA make-up rules as they go along. Uh, yeah, that's another call on the phone. I have some sympathy for the referee, says Terry Burke. Unlike rugby, where anything untowards that happens is put up on the big screen, in the GA that doesn't happen. And it's all done by asking the officials what did they see. If they were to put it up on screen so the referee can see exactly what occurred would be much more helpful in finding the real culprits. Thanks, Terry. Well, the match was live on television. So if anyone wants to check out what happened, it's all there. It's all there. Kevin on Twitter, the GA is a shambles with regards to discipline. A few weeks ago, you had players banned for getting off on a technicality because it was on Zoom and not in person. As long as they allow things like that to happen, players will simply run amok with zero consequence. And Antoinette says he should be banned from ever playing again. There's no place in GA for thugs like that. 0818 96 96 96. Stream the freshest hits of 2022 on the Hit Mix. Or find the biggest workout bangers on the Fit Mix. The Cork's 96FM Hit Mix and Fit Mix are streaming live right now. Streaming live right now. Melody is playing, playing. Download the Cork's 96FM app. Listen on your smart speaker. Or go to 96FM.ie. Cork's 96FM. Like, and I know Twitter is, is a cesspool at the best of times, but I got engaged in a discussion on this last evening when I made that point that I'd be taking my son, if it was my son, down to a guard the station to make a statement after that, and then into a solicitor to make a civil statement the following morning. And I won't, look, I won't name the guy who replied to me, but I, cause I wouldn't like to bring a pile on, on him. I'm, I'm, I'm not like that. Uh, he said, PJ, their stuff goes on in a lot of matches of varying codes that people could go and complain about at their local guard the station if they had a mind to. 
Some are even within the rules of various games. Let's not resort to pearl, pearl grasping. Eye gouging was very wrong and will be punished. Well, I hope it will. I sincerely hope that it will. I see where Jose Mourinho did this in 2011 uh, to the Barcelona manager and got a two-game ban for it. A two-game ban, so that's only a slap on the wrist. Total slap on the wrist. Anyway, look, we'll come back to it because there's lots of responses to it. But on Friday, I was talking to uh, the outgoing Lord Mayor of Cork, Councillor Cullum Kelleher, about his year in office and how he felt he'd done and you know, had he achieved what he was setting out to achieve and all of that. And in following a tradition of many years standing, dating back to the late Chrissy Ahern, I've always spoken, either for the newsroom or for the programme, to the outgoing Lord Mayor on the day of the... Uh, he leaves or she leaves office and then to the incoming Lord Mayor just after they have been elected and I continued that tradition over the weekend with the new Lord Mayor of Cork elected on Friday Councillor Deirdre Ford Lord Mayor Councillor Deirdre Ford you've had the weekend to have those words settle in have they? Um, it, it's a very exciting thing, um, PJ. What an honour that has been bestowed on me and my family. We're very mindful of what really uh, is happening. Like It's a wonderful thing to be recognised by your peers and to be Lord Mayor of this unparalleled city. I'm probably, you know, so anxious to get going ahead that I haven't time to think of anything else. Mm. I want to start revitalising the city centre, working to promote a sustainable Cork um, that's easy to access, and, of course, building on the ambition that we have in Cork for growth. Yeah. So I'm focusing on those, and I want to hit the ground running. I'll come back to those in a moment, but talk, talk to me about yourself. Tell us a little bit about the woman who is now our, our first citizen. Um, well, the woman that's talking to you now is so lucky in the way she has collected very loyal friends and supporters and community people over the last 25 years in politics. I couldn't have done it without friends and neighbours. And, to you know, politics is a kind of an unusual uh, arena to be in, and particularly for a woman. And the amount of people that gave up hours for me to help me, even getting ready to take over the Lord Mayor, hmm. um, I, I, I couldn't have done it without them. Originally, I'm from Mitchellstown and very proud of that, of course. Um, but I came to live in Douglas when my children were small and they're all... Uh, grown up now and I have little children again in the form of my grandchildren mm. so uh, as a matter of interest uh, PJ I lived in Maryborough for over 37 years right. in Douglas and I only this last year as we call it right sized to move to a smaller home mm-hmm. you know because it was practical to do so yeah. so like my experiences really of life throughout those 37 years have formed me the person I am today. Mm. You were a county councillor for for more years than you are a city councillor, weren't you? Uh, Yes, I was a county councillor for 20 years. Seems a long time, Um, but I loved my time in the county also. You know, it was the camaraderie was super. And, you know, it's quite different to the city. Um, But when I came into the city in 2019... 
Um, I found it a bit of a change, you know, just like anybody else Mm. who would change jobs takes a period of settling in. But, you know, they're super professional in the city. And, of course, as Lord Mayor, I will have the backup of the entire team and, of course, my colleagues as well. Let's look at those aims of yours for for a few minutes. And it's only a a couple of weeks ago that a a CNN reporter said some things about the city centre that, look, they they got a mixed reaction. Um, There's no doubt about it, Lord Mayor, but parts of our city centre look very drab and very tired, very shabby. And and I'm hoping that, or I think listeners will be hoping that that you you recognise that and will take it on. You know, I I was disappointed to hear that, but... You know, there's more things to be proud of in Cork than there are negative things to be addressed. I mean, a small few people, uh, you know, that would destroy things in our city. We're just going to have to focus on the positives and redouble our efforts. There's a lot of work going on in the city. There's a huge revitalization plan for the city, you know, improving public realm, you know, improving lights, you know, making open spaces more permeable. Um, you know, putting in seating and making the streets cleaner and also working with, of course, the Gardaí, the tourist board and many agencies to ensure Cork is a warm and welcoming place for local people and for visitors alike. And we will achieve that. There's a lot going on behind the scenes um, and I want to focus on that positives and you know, stick to the plan and we'll yeah. get there. Would you accept we have a, a law and order issue and a shortage of Gardaí? I discussed it with your predecessor more than once. We have a shortage. Will you work with the with the guards to see what can be done about that? Well, you know, I, I have always worked very closely with the guards and, I you know, we do have our meetings on a regular basis with the Joint Policing Committee. Hmm. And, you know, the, the guards want to ensure that there's law and order and so do we and if we can work together with a common plan I'm convinced that we can bring Cork to the next level Mm. after all it's earmarked for tremendous growth over the next 20 years Mm. we've two universities 40,000 students Cork is going to be superb yeah, your predecessor was to reach out or intending to reach out to the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris, to see would he appear before and chat with the JPC. Would you endorse that and, and, and see it as a, as a valid option? Well, in fact, I was in Dublin for an EPP Women's Conference there two weeks ago and I took the opportunity to speak to Minister Helen McEntee hmm. and to ask her would she come to Cork or ensure that perhaps the commissioner will come to Cork. And I have spoken to the deputy Lord Mayor, who now will, uh, Damien Boylan, who now will be chairing the Joint Policing Committee, and I've asked him to send an invite to the commissioner to come to Cork. And I'm sure he probably will. You know, he was in Cork a few years ago, and I think that Cork is Ireland's second city. We expect a very high standard from everybody in response to our queries and our issues. Hmm. If there's one thing that you'd like to achieve between now and June of 2023, Deirdre, what would it be? Well, there's many things, but I suppose I have to, um, you know, narrow them down and be focused. I want to see a revitalisation of the city centre. What form would that take? What shape would that take? 
Well, you know, we will sit down with the uh, on the tourist board and with the businesses, and we'll try and improve the public realm. We will in- increase uh, or add lighting in areas that are maybe shabby or dark, and we put in more flowers, we will change signage. We want to do a real marketing job mm-hmm. on the city centre. Of course, as well as that, we want to ensure that the, the businesses who are the lifeblood of the city, that they have their issues addressed as well. Mm-hmm. Because after all, they um, give employment and employment makes the wheels go around and it's vital for the economic growth. Mm. As well as that, we have the Cork Docklands, which is earmarked for tremendous growth over the next 20 years. You know, there's 146 hectares which will have homes, hotel, businesses, public realm improvements, parking, um, and uh, as well as that public parks. Mm. So all I'd like to see more little pocket public parks where people, when they have a busy day, they can come out of their offices or their shops and they can take time to mingle together. Because mm. the important thing about Cork is people love to talk. They're so friendly and they want to meet each other. And that will keep our city revitalised together with maybe doing up vacant properties for housing and uh, improving the footfall in the city centre. Maybe something you might do, and um, this came up last week on The Opinion, I'm sure you were preparing for your election, you might have missed it, but we had a caller, Trish, who rang us about the state of Bishop Lucy Park. Now, subsequently, the Parks Department said they were keeping the litter clear and they were doing their level best with it, and we had some photographs sent. But what was very noticeable, and Trish had said it in her original call, a huge amount of board droppings and other such could you possibly I arrange to send someone over with a power hose and maybe start that out for us? Which, PJ, you know, your listenership is everybody in Cork. And I'm always very mindful of that. So if your listeners want to help me and you by giving suggestions, I will take them on board and I will do my level best to have things improved. All right. And lastly, a word about your predecessor. Uh, Cullen was outstanding, really. He's such a pleasant personality. And, you know, everybody likes to talk to him. And he's a wonderful sense of humour. So he did us all proud. He's a a hard act to follow. Um, And he has given me advice as well. You know, we traditionally go in and we have the... 10-minute chats, you know, where the pitfalls, what can you do, hmm. uh, point me in the right direction. So we don't always fight or again at each other's throats. Yeah. In fact, that's a defining thing about Cork City Council. I found nothing, now we might disagree on core messages, yeah. but at the same time, everyone tries to pull together to make this city of ours the best it can be against all others. I, I imagine that you're well familiar also with the man they call the real Lord Mayor, the one from Mr. Archer. He'll be with you in the car for the next 12 months. He will. And uh, I can tell you, he has me mithered already. Be ready at 20 past one. You know, have a rain jacket. <laughs> you know, he's he's fantastic. And I couldn't do without him. And all the other councillors say, Finbar is the real Lord Mayor. <laughs> and we'll take that. Well, we wish you well. I know we'll speak many times during the year. This this programme and the radio station has a very solid relationship with the Lord Mayor's office over many years, and I trust it'll continue during your year. Lord Mayor, Deirdre Ford. Absolutely. Thanks, Amelia, PJ. And good to speak with Deirdre at the weekend.
Come here. I was down at uh, Tommy Tiernan last night. There was so much going on across the weekend. Dermot Kennedy was in town. Louis Capaldi was in town. Schick are down on Tuesday. Is at the Crowded House are down tonight. Olivia Rodrigo is in on Wednesday. Gigs, gigs, gigs. Elton John on, on Friday. And all of those artists can be found on our exclusive online station, the Back Garden Festival, which is running again this summer. It's all we had for 2020 and 2021, but now we've got it back by popular demand with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound this summer. Catch it on the app or go to 96fm.ie. But would you be nice and wait till the end of the opinion? That'd be all right. Thanks. Now, the census has found that there's a lot of <coughs> vacant houses around Cork, around the country, huge numbers of vacant houses. There was a whole bunch of um, census, provisional information came out from the census uh, last week, and there's a lot of vacant houses around Cork and around the country. But um, Deputy Colin Bork has another issue that he wants to highlight with regard to uh, houses, and that is people who are living in houses now that are too big for their needs. Council houses, I assume you mean, Colin, good morning. Well, I mean, both of them, in fact, um, Peter, because there's, um, there is a problem, for instance, you know, you take, say, for the Bishopstone area. I remember doing door-to-door there a couple of years ago and knocking on 10 doors. And in eight of the 10 houses, there was either a widow or widower living there on their own in quite, you know, three-bedroomed, um, some of them semi-detached, some of them detached. So it applies both to private housing and to local authority housing. The problem with private housing is that people want to stay in their own community, they want to stay in their own area, but there's very little available for them to downsize, yeah. and that's a big problem. In relation to local authority areas, I think we need to be far more um, proactive in making sure that there is available downsizing within the area that people are currently living in, yeah. and that is happening. But we have quite a large number of, for instance, I have six people alone that I know of as of today who want to downsize. They're in three-bedroomed, either two-bedroomed or three-bedroomed houses, semi-detached. They're on, you know, uh, an old-age pension. And, you know, there's a cost of, there's heating costs, there's maintenance costs, mm-hmm. and all the rest of it in relation to um, local authority houses as well. Mm-hmm. And just on one pension coming into the house, it's not it's not that easy. Mm-hmm. It's, in fact, almost impossible. There's, there's, to, a, there's a view there, though, isn't there, Colm, <clears throat> also, and I imagine some people are exactly as you describe. but think of the person living alone now, in a house that they bought and paid for with their hard-earned money. And they would say, I'm sure, listen, go away and build council houses. Don't be trying to turf me out of the house that I've bought and hard-earned and want to leave to my grandchildren. Well, absolutely, there's no problem in relation to people who want to live there. But I'm talking about people who are actually have made the decision that they want to go into a smaller accommodation. And they can't. And they can't, and that's the the one. And I think if we did an audit in relation to local authority housing right across the country, we will find there's quite a number of people who would like to downsize, but they want to stay in their own community because, you know, they've been there 40, 50 years, um, and they want to stay in their own community. And the problem then is that do we have adequate number of, of smaller units within that community? Now, one of the things, if you look at um, Cork City Council at the moment, there's over... 1,500 units currently being built. Some of those 
or smaller units and hopefully will accommodate mm. what I'm talking about. But we need to be far more proactive. Colin, what are your thoughts on modular? I was talking to Carol Dieter mm-hmm. here last week on modular housing and we were discussing the fact that it, you could buy a self-contained tiny apartment modular for about 40,000 and all you need is a plot of service land to put it on. Is it time that the state started looking at buying up those modular little apartments and just putting them on service land? And I'm sure if you went to any of the manufacturers and said we want to buy 20,000 of these, you'd get a smashing discount. But the but the big issue is not so much <clears throat> well there is a problem with, in, with local authorities remember in fairness now to Cork City Council they have over 1,500 units presently under construction in the last 12 months they've completed 640 units our biggest problem in relation to housing is in relation to people who are renting rents are gone sky high and there is an inadequate amount of uh, units available and for instance we're finding people now moving as far as way as um, <clears throat> people who are working south of the city um, I was speaking to one auctioneer in Mallow recently where his company is now contacting him looking for to rent houses in the Mallow area yeah. rents in Mallow are gone away sky high our problem is that we don't have enough units in the city and the question is then you know the units that are I think there's 140, 150,000 vacant units around the country how do we get those back into use and for instance you take someone who's in a, pri- in a nursing home at the moment um, as you know, under the fair deal scheme... Their house is empty. <clears throat> the house is empty. The problem is that under the fair deal scheme, 80% of your pension goes towards your cost of your nursing home care. If the house is let out, then 80% of the rent mm. goes towards nursing home care. And we've been looking for this to be changed for quite some time because members of family don't want to take on the, the task of managing a house and then finding that the you know, the, the cost of renting and the management of it takes up quite a bit of time yeah. and therefore they're not prepared. And as a result, we we find that a house are left vacant yeah. and that's something that we need to tackle mm-hmm. and we could free up quite a number of houses. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 966 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The opinion line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, uh, there's a traffic situation, as it was. Uh, where is that now? I've lost where it is. There is, yes, by the Inishannon to Bandon, there's a stop-go in operation on that narrow little road. Oh, I don't envy you. That road gets blocked up at the best of times. But for now, they've got a stop-go set up in operation between Inishannon and Bandon, so long delays being reported. Thanks for that. I don't fancy anyone having to go to... Oh, God. Oh, it's, it's one road. It's one road that can get clogged up for nothing. Actually, do you know who's gone from there? And I was kind of sad to see. I think he's gone a while now. Um, do you remember the fella? He used to have a chipper just there by the river. Now, the little wagon is still there and has fallen into total disrepair. It's just a, a shell now of what it used to be. But he was a... Was he a Dutch guy? And his day job, kind of, was he was into making wooden furniture. But he had this little chipper 
that used to be down by the river there on the road from Inishannon to Bandon. And he only did very limited hours. He kind of worked when he wanted to and he kind of worked on, on peak times. But they were the most delicious chips I ever tasted. Was it Richie was his name? Does anybody know what happened to him? Because he's gone a while. There was another fella as well. Now, this goes back a few years. I, I don't know. I, I, think, I think this lad may not, no longer be with us. Um, do you remember the Prince Albert? He had a, a big potato wagon that he used to do just as you come out of Bandon there. You turn off at the T-junction there and he had a beautiful baked potato wagon that he used to put on at night. So there was him by night and there was the fella out the road by day. They're both gone, uh, which was quite sad to see. I was in Bandon there recently driving up. We went to Baltimore for a spin the June weekend and I just pointed out to the missus the, the little chipper wagon on the, on the road in there and, and how lovely the chips used to be back in the day. 0818 96 96 96. Oh, here's a breaking story. Here is a breaking story. Paul Reed, the chief executive of the HSE, has announced he will stand down at the end of this year or later this year. Paul Reed, this is just breaking through. Know nothing about why, know nothing about where it's being announced. But it's breaking now. Paul Reed is stepping down as chief exec of the HSE later this year. On downsizing, I tried to downsize from a four-bedroom detached to a smaller house. But when I talked to auctioneers, they were only interested in mortgage-approved or cash buyers. It'd be very hard for me now to sell my house and not know where I'm going to. And the rental market's just impossible. If there were bridging loans, I know many people like me would move and be sure of a place to live before they sell their house. We had some auctioneer, the name is escaping me, was telling me that last week. Huge problem now. You have a property, but if you don't have somewhere to buy yet, you, you can't sell it. That's a very, very good point. 0818 96 96 96. About to... Uh, here from Charlie Bird, the great Charlie Bird. But before we do that, I want you to think about this. This came in, uh, I was, I think since all the restrictions are lifted, now we, we've been trying to contact this person and I'd love to talk to you about it in more detail and see what you think because there's an article to this effect in the Echo as well today. I think since all the restrictions were lifted, everyone is so angry. They're just like coiled springs no one has any patience anymore in the supermarket or anywhere else. And I think people are driving very aggressively too. Is it just me? I, I, I think it isn't just you. I, I think I've spotted that as well. Um, we, we'd hope to, to talk to anyone who thinks that. Um, yeah, it's making the point, are people just more snappy? More aggressive? In shops or wherever? Have they less patience with one another? Has, has the kindness of just waiting for 40 seconds until someone else gets their sausages before you badge up to the counter? Has that gone out of our society since, since lockdown ended? Uh, good question. Good question. Your thoughts would be welcome at 083 Voice message, of course, anytime you like. Or 0818 96. On driving tests, we heard in the first hour about how the driving, that lad driving test was just cancelled. Bang! Uh, due to something like unforeseen circumstances. Now, the bone's are three weeks away. 
unforeseen circumstances. Is that happening to anybody else? Ashling was on. She said, we're waiting four weeks for an, an invite email to allow us book a retest. We paid up front. Yes, thanks for that, Ashling. 0818 96 96 96. Now, on the 2nd of April, the world, literally the world, because it went international anywhere there are Irish people, were focused on Climb with Charlie. We all remember that uh, late last year, the much-loved Charlie Bird uh, was diagnosed with motor neuron disease, and he confirmed that last year. And uh, unfortunately, Charlie's voice uh, is pretty much gone now. Um, he can he struggles to get even the most simple of words out. Uh, it's so sad, so so sad that awful, horrible, mendacious, nasty stop of a disease. Um, and it's taking one of our most beloved characters from us before our eyes. But he's still physically strong and he's driving on with his determination. And Climb With Charlie has now morphed into a book also called Climb With Charlie. And it'll be hitting the shelves. If they're not there already, it'll be hitting the shelves this week. Now, Charlie's voice, as I said, is... is almost gone but his wife is an RTE producer and working with a digital company a digital artificial intelligence company they have created for Charlie a new voice from all of the many recordings he made over the years many of his reports documentaries interviews you name it they managed to get all of the voices into an iPad. So Charlie now has a new voice. And it was with that voice that he did this interview with us for the launch of the book, Climb with Charlie. Charlie Bird, it's wonderful to welcome you to the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. How did you come up with the idea to climb Croke Patrick in the first place and then to make it a big public event? The idea of climbing Krogue Patrick was not exactly a spur-of-the-moment decision. I have been in a WhatsApp group called the West Awake, comprising of Tommy Gorman, Michael Lally, Sean O'Rourke, Joe O'Brien, Ray Burke, and now the late Jim Fahey. All of the gang were my colleagues. And while I was going through the early part of my illness, before it was identified, all of my colleagues were supportive of me and we had been planning a walk or a climb. So when Ryan Tuberty asked me what was on my bucket list, I blurted out I would love to climb Crow Patrick. Little did I know when I said that it would turn into a sort of national event. Putting it together, making it happen, was that easy? Well, in a way, it did come together very quickly and easily. At first, I brought on board Paul Allen, who has his own public relations company. Both of us have cockapoo dogs, and we used to meet up during the pandemic for a walk. So he helped me get the whole project up and running, and the two charities came on board as well. And we got a whole team of volunteers who offered us their help, and they were all magnificent. I think watching you on the day, you clearly were surprised at the turnout. Oh my God, yes, I was totally blown away by the support on the day, not only at Crow Patrick, but as I have said already right across Ireland and abroad. When we first met the local community in Marlis, they were concerned at the numbers that might turn up on the day of the climb. So at the suggestion of the local guard inspector, Dennis Harrington, who is now a good friend, we asked people to also climb in their own local area. And that is exactly what happened. 
In the end, we had a staggering numbers of climbs all over Ireland and abroad. When you realised that the, the summit was there in front of you as you climbed towards it, how, how did you feel at that moment? Well, I was totally blown away at the size of the number of people who were climbing with me. Yes, my family and friends were with me. But what was so beautiful was the community spirit on the day. Strangers fell into step with each other and walked and chatted together. There were parts for me where I found the climb very emotional. People who were on their way back down were stopping me and asking for a photo. I was more than happy. I would say I had hundreds of photographs taken. At one stage, halfway up the mountain, there were children from Brakloon National School waiting for me and cheering me on. I cried my eyes out when I was standing among them. To be honest, the whole day was an emotional roller coaster for me. And I cried even more when I reached the summit greeted by the Clue Bay Pipe Band. I tried to bow my head and hide my tears, but I could not hide the tears streaming down my face and everyone including Ryan Tuberty and Daniel O'Donnell, my grandchildren, were wrapping their arms me to try and comfort me. I will never forget those moments as long as I live. It was great to see so many of your colleagues down the years uh, joining you at the summit. Was there anyone there that took you totally by surprise? Yes, I had many of my former newsroom colleagues, indeed from all across Montrose, climbing with me. My great pal George Lee, who worked with me on the banking stories, couldn't climb because of a serious back injury, but he promised that he would come down to Westport and Merlis to support me and he was true to his word. And there were so many former colleagues on the climb, I won't name them all because I might leave out someone. But the Director General, D. Forbes, also climbed with us. What was just as uplifting lots of colleagues who couldn't make it down to Crow Patrick met up in Half on that Saturday morning and walked Half Head as a gesture of support. And then it turned into one heck of a party at the summit. D- did you expect that? Did you know anything about that? Did you know it was being planned? Reaching the summit and hearing the music of the Clue Bay Pipe Band booming out across the mountain top was just so remarkable. They were playing Raglan Road for me. The cheering and the chanting was just so mind-blowing. And you are correct, it turned into a bit of a session which had never been planned. The great Matt Molloy had brought his flute with him and he joined in playing with the Clue Bay Pipe Band. There were over 40 members of the band and they were making their own bit of history. They had never played at the top of the reek before. It was the parish priest, wasn't it, who, who organised that Daniel O'Donnell would MC the event at the summit? It wasn't planned. It sort of just happened. What was planned by my wife Claire was Daniel singing a Bruce Springsteen song for me. Daniel singing Dream Baby Dream on top of Ireland's holy mountain. Yes, you might have to pinch yourself, but it was for real. I met Daniel O'Donnell for the first time in my life when we were both guests on the Late Late Show. As I was walking into the studio, he was leaving, we shook hands and he told me he was thinking about me and my illness. But as I was leaving at the end of the show, I was passing him on the corridor and stretched out his hand and pressed something in my hand. It is a moment and a gesture I will never forget as long as I live. Maybe Brucey would meet both of us next May when he is here. Everyone I met was saying the same thing. They were blown away by what happened on the top of the reek. They had never witnessed anything like it before. My message about Daniel is very simple. I have now got a lovely new friend who is a remarkable human being. So, so describe your thoughts and your feelings at the end of the climb. Share that with us, if you would. When the climb was over and we were back down at the base with my family and friends, I was elated. 
The whole climb went so smoothly. I went back to the hotel to rest for a while and soak my bones. I was looking at my iPad to see how it had been covered by the media. The coverage was amazing and it was wall to wall. I also saw that both the President Michael D and the Taoiseach had both tweeted the support for the climb not only just on Crowe Patrick but right across the country. All our team of volunteers and myself we knew we had done something very special. But there was one sad note when we heard that a lady climbing the Galtimore Mountains had passed away. When I got the details that Cor O'Grady had taken I tweeted our condolences to her family and friends. Charlie, the reaction and the amount of money raised just been off the chart completely. Did you ever think it would get so big? When we started working on this whole project and the volunteers were coming on board to help me, and especially when we set up the I Donate website, in the back of my mind I was hoping that if the gods were smiling down on us, we might reach raising half a million euro. Then as more and more climbs were being announced right across the country and abroad, I felt more confident that we might reach the target of one million euro. Indeed, I have to admit I had some sleepless nights worrying about everything, including that the weather might be bad on the day of the climb down on Crow Patrick. Also, each evening I would look up the Climb with Charlie website and see the running total of the amount of money being raised. Yes, each day it was getting bigger and bigger. And also more and more well-known people were lending their support for Climb with Charlie. I couldn't believe it when I saw that Bono was offering part of one of his songs for us to use to help promote the Climb. And then more good news, Dunn's stores, also Supermax, were also rowing in behind us. And then I began to worry less and less. And well before the climb we had hit the one million figure raised and it was still climbing. At one point I reached out to a number of well-known business people to see if they might financially support us. And yes, within a short space of time we had another quarter of a million euro going into our coffers. So finally I realized the whole climb was turning into a national event. Can you tell us how much has been raised so far? Well, now we have reached the grand total of money, just over three, a quarter of a million euro raised. Yes, you have heard me correctly, three million euro and another quarter of a million euro. There is still a few more euro to come in before we wind down this phase of climb with Charlie. Now talk to me, Charlie, about the book. It's come together, I suppose, almost as quickly as the event did. Well, after the climb was over, there were some amazing photographs in all the newspapers taken on the day of the climb. And we had asked people on the other climbs around Ireland and abroad to send us pictures as well. Then I got the idea of doing a sort of coffee table book of all the climbs. I had worked with the Marian Press and Conor Graham on my book a day in May about the marriage equality referendum. And I contacted Connor and asked him if he would be interested in doing a book. And to be honest, without hesitation, he came back and said he would love to do it. Then he set a target of a few weeks to have all the photographs in. Claire, my wife, took on the role of tracking down all the photographers, all the photos from all around Ireland and abroad. To be honest, she was working day and night. But thanks to Claire, we finally made the deadline of getting all the photographs. Connor and his team at Marion Press then pulled it out of the bag and yes, here we are now with the book going on sale within the next week. And lastly, Charlie, where can people buy the new book and who benefits from it? Well, the book Climb with Charlie will be on sale in most bookstores. Also, because of my growing relationship with the Heffernan family, it will also be on sale in all Dunn's stores shops around Ireland.
and all the profits from the book will go to the Climate Charity Fund, hopefully will formally hand it over to the two charities, Pieter and the Irish Motor Neuron Disease Association, in the next couple of weeks. Charlie, can I just finish by sending you every good wish on behalf of the listeners to the Opinion Line, and thanks for being with me today. People keep coming up to me and telling me I am an inspiration. Well, for me, the real inspiration are the people from all over Ireland and abroad who have been extending the hand of friendship. Well, Charlie, that is well-deserved, and uh, thank you again for being with me. That is the great uh, Charlie Bird. An unusual kind of interview conducted with his new artificial voice. Uh, I, I think I mentioned at the time that he made his announcement just what a lovely, lovely man uh, he is. Um, having met him over the years... Uh, many times up around Leinster House and around the country at various events that I've covered in my newsroom days. Uh, a gent, a thorough gent, a lovely man. And always a fella, and some of the top guys are not like this, but always a fella who'd give you a steer, uh, give you a, you know, give you a drive as to how you might find somebody. Uh, decent fella, Charlie Bird. 0818 96 96 96. You might have missed that breaking story uh, just out of the 10 o'clock news. I'm sure there'll be more in it. As the day goes on, Paul Reid has announced he is stepping down as chief exec of the HSE and that he will do so later this year. You wonder why, don't you? I mean, it's not for the want of money. I would suspect 0818 96 96 96. Porn is becoming a huge problem. Addiction to porn. So says a psychotherapist dealing in sex addiction here in Cork, and I will speak with him next. 0818 96 96 96. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. So there is a place called The Salt Group in Cork. A group therapy program called Salt, which is sex and love therapy. And that is run by psychotherapist Donald Clifford, he joins me. Donald, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are good, you? Good to speak with you, sir. And I watched Thanks for your me, podcast with the two Norries. Yeah. Uh, you, 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 you have your own interesting story as well. But yeah. talk to me about the sex addiction. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this Improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. 
specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And the problem we have with porn in, in our society. Yeah, um, I suppose at the moment, it's, it's quite a big problem. Um, it's a, I suppose it's a problem that isn't hugely being addressed, although we are getting support now from the HSE and the Sexual Health Centre, which we've joined up with. Um, I, I initially started it in uh, 2014 just because I felt there was a bit of a need maybe in the Cork area. And since 2014, we've grown from one group therapy a week to five group therapy sessions a week. Um, so we've people coming from basically all over Munster, um, as far away as Galway, we've people coming from Galway. And, yeah, they come to group therapy every week um, because they see a need for it themselves to, to do something about their, their problem. And what kind of things are they bringing to group? What kind of problems are they bringing to you? I suppose it, it's it's more of, um, for them, I, and the reason we, we call it SALT as opposed to referring to it being addictive, is that it's more problematic sexual behaviour. So that can be anything from watching pornography to um, understanding their own sexuality, to um, multiple affairs or anonymous sex or visiting sex workers. Um, so it's quite a broad range of issues. Mm. And some of them are very young. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they seem to be getting younger, the people who are presenting. Like if you think about when we started in 2014, they would have been in their 20s, 30s, 40s, maybe even 50s. Um, but in the last year, more so since, I suppose, since the pandemic, we've had younger clients coming, um, kind of 17, 18, 19, 20, oh early 20s. Oh, my. You know? My. And I believe some of them are telling you that at that age that they began to have access to porn at 8, 9 and 10. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and like, I'll give you an example. One client said to me, well, I started watching it at eight, but I didn't really start watching it until I was 10. Okay. And that, that would be quite common. So like a part of the assessment, you'd ask somebody like, well, when did the problem begin? And some people could say eight or nine, but they might have had sexual problems from a much younger age or issues around sex or something um, at a much younger age. But they would usually say around eight, nine, ten is when the problem began for them. And is this because, do you think, Donor, we're, we're very, I think blasé is the word, but maybe you have a different one, about handing over a smartphone as a communion gift or a 10-year-old birthday present? Yeah. Are they getting them too easy? Well, it isn't that they're getting them too easy. I think part of it is, and it isn't any reflection on people, but I think part of it is um, an ignorance around what is going on on social media um, and the access. So if, say for example, I, I have two daughters at home and you can put all these blockers and you can put all these protections on the phone, mm-hmm. but if other if other children don't have those same blockers and parents aren't that aware of what is coming up on mobile phones, it takes one child 
to show another child yeah. and then it's going around, you know. So and I suppose some people, it, it is, as I think if they really knew what was going on, um, they, I think they would be a bit more yeah. conscious about what they were giving and when they were giving it and the access yeah. to it. Just unpack that a little bit, Donald, if you would, for a minute, because yeah. like parents, and I'm not blaming a parent, like there's no, no. attempt here to blame parents, but sometimes no, they no, don't no. realise so, so-and-so's 10, 11, 12, or it could be a yeah. communion gift, and you hand them, yeah. like, I have a an iPhone, right? Yeah. You hand a child an iPhone. You're yeah. giving them access to God alone knows what in their little yeah. hand yeah. at eight or nine years. Yeah. yeah. And with the best will in the yeah. world, yeah. that's not good for them. No, no. I, I'll give you an example, PJ. Like, in, in my house, we, we would have open conversations. Like, they wouldn't be sit down, but they, we, we would... It would be part of conversation about safety and about sex and just make it more normal. Um, and there would be blockers on the phones and the phones would be, you know, they would be, I suppose, monitoring the phones. But on Saturday, there was pornography came through to my 12-year-old, 12-year-old daughter's phone. Mm. And yet there were blockers on it. Yes. You know, through an app. Yeah. So, like, I think if we're not having, and see, she, she told us, said, look, this is after coming through. And we were able to deal with it there and then and talk to her. And mm. But I think a lot of people aren't doing that. They're not having the conversation yes. um, and they're not aware of what's actually coming through. Yes. And you know, if children are being exposed to this at nine and ten, how long does it take them? In Just an opinion, I'm not sure if there's science there, but how long can it take them to actually get addicted to watching it? So there's a process to becoming addicted to anything. There's a process. Yes. So it will start with, and it's all to do with brain chemistry. And people are like, well, how can I get addicted to sex? It's to do with the brain chemistry. It isn't actually to do with the actual act of having sex. If something arouses the brain and releases good chemicals in the brain, you want more of that. And what you know is this is exciting. And so it starts with impulsiveness. So just being impulsive, okay, and then compulsive. And then that leads on to an addiction. Yes. And you know, so for so it can take different periods of time for different people. Yeah. You know, but generally over a, a length of years. Yeah. We 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 have a problem, Donald, as I'm sure yeah. you don't need me to tell you. It's all in the news. But I, one name that comes to mind, lovely Ashling Murphy, murdered on the twelfth yeah. of January. We yes, we yes. have, and I remember that because the 12th of January is my birthday. Yeah. We, we have a problem with aggressive, violent young men taking yes. out that aggression and violence on yes. young women. Yeah. In your opinion, and it's just an opinion, in your opinion, could you make a correlation between the age at which children can get uh, exposed to pornography and that violent aggression in young men. And this is just from my experience? Yes, Donald. Yes. There, there is a correlation there. Because like people don't see people as people anymore. They see them as sex objects. Yes. And, what, and whatever. And like I, I think back in my day, when, like, when I was growing up, you didn't have access to pornography. Yeah. You had to you be know, six foot tall because on the top shelf. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And people might get a magazine every now and again, but that would be the extent of it. Yes. 
Um, whereas now everybody is walking around with pornography in their pocket. Everyone. Yes. Do you know, from the age of 10 upwards. Yes. Um, and, and like what we would have considered hardcore pornography back then is now just regular. Yes. And what they're getting access to is, is anything. Anything you can imagine you can get access to. So that is having an influence on people. Yes. Now what's the new norm? Now, I mentioned the, the Two Norries podcast and in that you went into yes. a lot of very honest and courageous depth about your own background. You have a, a background in addiction yourself yeah. and which yeah. has kind of spurred you on in the career. But you make a point that a person who is addicted to pornography, a smartphone in their pocket is like a bottle of vodka in front of an alcoholic. Yeah, that's exactly it. Wow. That's exactly, yeah, it's that simple, you know. Um, like, I think a lot of the lads we work with and a lot of people these days are actually moving away from smartphones and just turning to what I would call the old dumb phone, where it was simple yes. calls and text messages. And you're safe with that and you don't have to be, even just social media and being around social media can be triggering for people. Yes. You know, like everything now has become sexualized. Yes. So that can be a trigger for people. So then if somebody has an issue with it or has the potential of having an issue with it, they have it in their pocket 24 hours a day. Yeah. Donald, a lot of my listeners are parents of, of young children, yeah. seven, eight, nine yeah. and ten year olds. Yeah. Can you give them any little bit of advice? Reassurance, I guess, but advice to what to do. Yeah. I, I suppose the advice I was given as parent for the era we're living in now, not from where, how we were parented. Times are very different. That's brilliant, actually. Mm. Parent for what you we know. live with, not for, yeah. not for, sorry, parent for, parent for what they live with, not for what we yeah. lived with. Exactly. Fantastic advice. Donald, I'll leave it there with you because I want to talk to Dr. Martin Davern. Thank you very much. That's Donald Clifford from the Sex and Love Therapy Salt. I would advise, actually, uh, watching uh, the Two Norries podcast. I think it's episode 21, if you follow their podcast. A chat with Donald Clifford. It's fascinating. Uh, well worth a watch and listen. Uh, let's bring in Dr. Martin Davern from the Cork Sexual Health Centre. Uh, Martin, I know you've been hanging on for a couple of minutes. Would you give me a minute or two more to like, clear off an ad break here and we'll talk then? All right, thank you. 0818 96 96 96. Access all areas on Cork's 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. RSA Fellows Festival Cork Belonging Place and Reconnecting comes to Triscoll Christchurch featuring poet Thomas McCarthy, Nomi Berry, while Shane Cullen will discuss his acclaimed work, The Agreement. Check out Triscoll's website for further details. Access all areas. Legendary prog rockers, yes, come to Cork Opera House this Wednesday. Wednesday night celebrating their 50th anniversary and also playing their classic Delayer album. Tickets are available from the box office or from CorkOperaHouse.ie. Access All Areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at AAA at 96FM.ie. Access All Areas. With Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialists in sound this summer. On Cork's 96FM. Thank you for holding, Dr. Dabber from the Cork Sexual Health Centre. Martin, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Now, I, moving on from what Donald was saying about, you know, how young children are being exposed to pornography, I think in your clinic, you're seeing the results of that on a physical level. 
Absolutely. Um, I suppose the health behaviour in school children survey in Ireland had shown that pornography was a prolific issue for society and that young people were accessing pornography as part of and hoping for their sex education. And that's what Donal is seeing on the ground here at the Sexual Health Centre. So more and more people are coming to us with problematic sexual behaviour in relation to their pornography use. They're looking for support and guidance um, as to how they navigate that and that's what Donald is doing very effectively. Over the last couple of years we've actually seen a 350% increase in the number of people trying to access our SALT programme. So we're very grateful to the HSE for funding that um, yeah. programme but as you can see or even here like a 350% increase over that short period of time highlights what an issue this is in society and how people are looking for and reaching out for support in relation to same. Now, I'm, I'm going to phrase this question as delicately as I can, but I'm hearing that people like yourselves and clinic like yours are hearing of people injuring themselves by trying the kind of things that they're seeing on a pornographic film, that's very disturbing. Well, yes, that is very disturbing. I think with pornography, what we would always always say is that you know it's not a reality. So pornography is something that is it's filmed, it's staged, it is uh, it's not a form of reality, and it doesn't depict a reality for many people. Um, over the last couple of years, I think we've seen an openness in society to talk about many things. You know, we talk far more openly around gambling, alcohol use, drug use, but we're still uh, slow to talk about the areas of sexual health and sexual well-being because they're an intimate part of a person's life. And when we struggle to speak about things or if we struggle to to access supports for things, maybe that's at a point in time without supports where people... Um, do struggle in isolation so for the sexual health centre sexual health is part of our everyday and that's what our support services are for so we're here for anybody um, if they are looking for that, for any support in relation to that aspect of their lives. How young How young are you seeing them Mark? Um, our services are quite broad so we have our helpline which runs um, uh all day every day and we have our young people's program where we go out and deliver capacity workshops to people in youth reaches or non-formal settings supported by uh, our local Cork ETV. Um, what we try and do really is build an individual's capacity to navigate their sexual health effectively. So SALT along with all of our services are non, we're not an abstinence-based service. What we're looking to do is provide people with the facts and the information that they need so that they can effectively support their sexual health and reduce their risk of contracting an STI or having an unplanned pregnancy or uh, finding themselves at a point of anxiety or worry in relation to their sexual well-being. So we support people throughout the life course because sexual health, as they say, is a part of our everyday lives, you know. So um, we have different programmes for different age cohorts and we're here for anybody who has a sexual health query. Donald made the point that he's talking to people now whose first experience of porn was when they were eight, nine or ten. And parents listening to this will be horrified by that but sometimes realism is horrific what advice would you have martin for 
parents who might be worried about their children? Yeah, I think um, you're dead right. It's just realistic to think of it like that. What we're seeing through Donald's programme here at the Sexual Health Centre is just a reflection of what the research is highlighting. You know, pornography is, is being used by the younger and younger age cohort and people are utilising pornography as part of their sex education. Um, I think it's really important for parents to create a space for open conversation so that they can support young people. There are a variety of resources. So there's um, our national HSE website, sexualwellbeing.ie, that has a number of resources for parents and young people in terms of starting the conversation in relation to sexual health and growing with a young person as a as they navigate through the life course. Um, we have our, a variety of resources here at the Sexual Health Centre. So we have SHC Hub, which is an Instagram account, and then Agony Ant, where young people can go online, ask questions and get answers to the sometimes the most intimate part of their life. Um, and we're here as a helpline as well. So mm. if parents today are have been listening to this and they really wonder, what will I do or what's my next step? do give us a call. Mm. We're always here to help and happy to na- help navigate that. Could you maybe share that number with us, Martin? Of course. So it's 021-427-6676. Yeah. 6676. Thank you so much for that. And we'll give that, that number out. And do appreciate you being with us. That's Dr. Martin Davern for the Cork Sexual Health Centre. And before him, uh, Donald Clifford, who runs their Sex and Love Therapy SALT programme. Sex Eight, nine, and ten now. Children are experiencing porn. Um, that number, if you need it, oh two one four two seven double six seven six four two seven sixty six seventy six. And Donald's advice for parents, I think, and I'm paraphrasing the words he used, but I thought it was powerful. And I guess if we take nothing from this discussion in the last fifteen twenty minutes, let's take this. Parent for the world they are growing up in, not the world we grew up in. Parent for the world they're living in, not the world we grew up in. Uh, that's a strong word of advice. Line three, you say, Fergal. Barry, good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm just um, listening there earlier this morning, the news um, about, you know, affordability of housing and... Yeah you know, the housing crisis in general. Yeah. And just a couple of things I wanted to bring to your attention. They were talking there about the average wage being around 30 grand or something like that, 30,000. Yeah. And previously, the banks, when they were doing lending, okay, it was two and a half times the main salary and one time plus once the second salary. That was the back in, you know, back... 20, 30 years ago, that was, and it was cast in stone, and it was 80% of the purchase price of the house. Right. That would be generally. The banks have increased that over the years, and it's now three times both salaries. Yeah. Okay? So if you take your 30,000, if two people are on 30,000, in the old days, the 80% was 105,000. And yeah. so the house price was 131000 yes. So they could buy a house for 131000 Yes. If you use the three, three multiplier, that's the mortgage of 180000 bringing the price of the house up to 225000 that have they you. could afford. I have okay? you. I have you. So 
that's a 60% difference in the house price. Yeah. Okay? Who has got that money? Great the point. builders and developers. Yes. The And the person getting the mortgage is paying a greater percentage of their income and they're vulnerable with interest rate rises and things like that. And it's all been driven just by the bank have a bigger mortgage, the builder has a bigger profit. Yes. And and you have two grateful yeah. um, home homeowners. It used to be much easier to get... It, it, yeah. Sorry, sorry to cut across your mate. Like, yeah. I can remember when I was borrowing money to buy a house yeah. um, and it was difficult to get what we wanted then. And then after I bought my first house, it got really easy and they were given out nearly 90%, 100% mortgages. Now that stopped and it got more difficult. But you're saying, yes, it's more difficult, but you can get more and that that's what's driving the house that's prices up the house. Yes. because the builder knows you'll get it. Exactly. And the banks have a bigger mortgage. It's all, like, if you if you take that, if you, and the more, you know, the slightly more, if one party, say, is earning 40,000. Yes. And the other party is earning 30,000. The house price goes up to two hundred and sixty-two thousand if you use the new multiplier, and one hundred and sixty-two. So there's a hundred grand in the difference on relatively, you know, normal incomes yes. in the price in the affordability of the house. To base, and that's totally based on the mortgage multipliers. That's a very good and, point. And if and if that was changed, obviously the builders couldn't because people couldn't afford them. If you have a shop selling luxury goods that nobody can afford they either have to drop their prices or that's go a, to where people can afford them. That's a fabulous point because when you go back to the days of the boom Mary yes. one of the reasons the boom happened I personally have always felt was okay builder develops phase one of an estate and it yes. sells for for argument's sake 200,000 and then yes. he Phase two is exactly the same house, exactly the same yes. house, and it's yes. 250,000, right? Yeah. Because the builder knows the bank will give people the money. Exactly, that he has the market, yeah. yeah. And that's why you people queuing around the corners for phase one, because they wanted to get in. Like, it was just all been driven, I suppose, by the financials going on behind the scenes. Yes. And, you know... The thing is, people as well, those multipliers of three, like kind of thing for salaries, are very unsustainable for people who want well, to start a family. If one of those, if one of those jobs you know, happens to go, you're you're in trouble straight goes, away. Uh, <laughs> you know, and historically low interest rates have allowed this to happen as well. Which, yeah. as we're looking down the, you know, the tunnel at an interest rate, a potential interest rate increase, which would be catastrophic for people who are teetering with those kind of figures. That's right, that's right. There was a point you wanted to make as well about social housing. I'm not quite getting this one. Go go, go down that one with me. Yeah, those available of the the arrears in social housing, the rent arrears, people not paying the money having got a house. Like, if you get a social house, your rent is set by... It's agreed, basically, between social welfare basically, and the local, local authority. authority. Yes. You can't get a house unless you're on social welfare and social welfare won't give you or 
your payment from social welfare depends on how much rent you're paying. Yes, I house. understand. You know what I mean? There's I do. a cycle yeah, there. Yeah. Okay, so there's 31 local authorities in Ireland and all of them have to tackle rent arrears. They have people, they have personnel being wasted. Why is it not deducted at source? If this symbiotic arrangement is there between social welfare and the local authorities already, why isn't the money just handed over between them? Okay, so if your welfare is, for argument's sake, if the welfare income to the house is 300 a week and the rent is 80, then the welfare income becomes 220. Yeah, like it's a no-brainer, like insofar as 31 local authorities, if, if, and I'd say this is the minimum that they're paying 100 grand each trying to collect rent between paying for personnel, letters, yeah, yeah. you know. Makes point. And that's 3.1 million. Mary, would you like to be the Minister for Housing? <laughs> I think there's just so much scope there. And, you know, in fairness, it would also, like anybody in social housing who is in difficulty with payments, there is a huge, there's a huge, I suppose, safety net there insofar as they will always have a roof over their head and yeah. the roof over their head isn't threatened because their rent is paid. That's a very good point. They're not point. getting letters in the door. They're not under stress. Point. You know, it, that's a huge thing. And it gives them an appreciation of what they have as well and I'd imagine are far more likely to look after it because they know that there is no danger of them being turfed out or Richard or having... Mary, you, know, you raise, you raise so fascinating sense. points. Thank you so much. Um, right. And as I Don't said, I, I would strongly suggest that you put yourself forward to be the next Minister for Housing because <laughs> we have a lot of problems yeah. and your, your straightforward common sense approach might solve a lot of them. Thank you very much. That's Mary on the Opinion Line. Your thoughts, welcome. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 969696 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, that weather forecast, oh, for goodness sake. Lads, forecast for the week, not good at all. All, I have to tell you, even though it's not bad out there now, it's cold. It's more like March than than the end of June, for sure. And just looking at dark sky for the week, um, it's telling me that we can expect pretty much grotty, just grotty weather with rain and maximums here. I'm seeing maximums of 16 degrees on Wednesday. I'm seeing max of 14 degrees tomorrow. I'm seeing what... 15 degrees Thursday, 16 degrees Friday, although I'm seeing it dry for the Elton John concert, that's okay. But then, coming into the start of next week, I'm seeing an improvement. And actually, Alan O'Reilly from Carla Weather uh, yesterday put up pictures. Now, around this time last year, you'll remember that Alan called it spot on with regard to the heatwave that he'd seen coming. He got a smell of it towards the middle or the end of June from putting his various bits of weather information together he got a smell of it and he kind of said around this time last year I'm not making any promises but this looks good and he's done something similar like that over the weekend he's been following what they call the Azores High 
and the Azores High is that lovely warm weather system that gives us a summer uh, into the low 20s or even the high 20s sometimes. And he was watching the Azores High uh, on his charts and he's not making any promises at this stage but he's thinking that coming into next week it may start to move and if it moves in the right direction we could be in luck. And the dark sky is starting to agree with him to a point looking into next. So we'll just, we'll just, as they say, hope and pray. Like next Monday, this day week, we're looking at 18 degrees, which is a bit warmer, and the rain gone, which would be good. But certainly this is no way, no weather to be having for the end of June, start of July. 0818 It certainly isn't any weather that would attract you to going camping. Particularly wild camping. Maeve Ferris, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Tis Thanks not, for having me on. Delighted. Tis not camping weather, Maeve. <laughs> no, I've, I've dubbed it June November. <laughs> Good one. Or, um, yeah, or it's, uh, June-tober, someone else said the other day. <laughs> yes, yes. No, it's it's probably not been the best week for wild camping, but you've given me some lovely hope there talking about an Azores high. Well, yeah, no, Alan is brilliant. And this time last year, he just said he could see something happening. He wasn't making any promises, but he could see something happening. And then a few days later, he made another prediction and you saw the, the heat wave we had last July. Um, mm. And I'm, I'm just ho- very hopeful because he's about the best of them out there. But for what wild camping, Maeve? Yeah, so um, wild camping is basically camping outside of a designated campsite. So there's lovely caravan parks and and campsites all around Ireland. And this is just, I guess, going outside of those. Um, Now, it's a bit of a grey area, I suppose, in Ireland, BJ, in that it's not technically allowed. Um, And that is mostly because in Ireland, as you well know, there's a lot of land ownership. We're a small country and most of it's owned by, by people, as opposed to, say, somewhere like, you know, Alaska with this vast amount of wilderness. But at least we don't have bears, I suppose, on the upside. Yeah. Angry (laughs) Um, farmers and bears, though, you know. Well, most people are very lovely, you know, so like I've been wild camping for a good few years and with a bit of common sense and courtesy and respect, it's generally fine. You know, you just ask somebody what they mind and then there's areas of beaches and sort of a, a, a sort of a rule of thumb is if you see other people doing it, go and chat to them about it and ask. And there's lots of information online about it, too. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the one thing I would see with regard to wild camping versus traditional camping, for want of a better word, is there's no toilet, there's no running water. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's kind of, you're devoid of your creature comforts, you're, 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 you're in the elements, like. I suppose that's kind of the point, isn't it, to get away from it all. So um, it's, for me, it's the quietness. Um, you know, if you have, I suppose it depends on your situation and your lifestyle, but if you have small kids or elderly people, you know, with any mobility issues and absolutely a caravan park with all of the lovely facilities is the best way to go. Um, but I'm often on my own with my dogs. So um, let's, let's deal with the toilet one, shall we? <laughs> let's, let's go there. It's no problem for the um, dogs. The, the dogs will find, you know, <laughs> dogs will do what dogs will this, do. Like This is true. 
but most beaches now with the main beaches would have public toilets um so you sort of get a good at planning it i'll be honest um you think oh look there's a a loo there i'll go now um and you you know anytime you're in the outdoors you're always operating a leave no trace policy so if you do need to have a pee somewhere um you know is to not leave the tissue behind you pack it up and take it away because it's not meant to be left there so there are you know lots of ways around it and because we are a small country you're never more than a couple of kilometers away from from civilization um or lots of it so and then the running water part we're surrounded by sea we're an island so off you go for a swim that'll do you for your shower Um, and there's so many people <laughs> but again, actually, if you look at a lot, there's lovely public amenities on things like piers. You get really good at spotting where there's water. You know, filling up from a tap at a petrol station, and you bring your drums of water with oh, you. So the lovely thing about it is you get much more cognizant of how much you're using. You know, you're not letting the tap run while you're brushing your teeth. Yeah. you're going to use a small bit of water, and it makes you think. You know, when you're washing up, use a small amount. Whereas at home. It's endless, the amount of water that we get to use. We're very lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does make you come back and think, I don't need so much stuff and things. And that's for me what yeah. at the root core of it, really. There are places here in our, our county that, mm. you know, if you wanted to believe in the existence of a higher power somewhere, just look <laughs> at them. And one of those yeah. is Alahees. Now, Alahees mm. is a favourite of yours, is it? It is, yeah. Um, I sort of, most of my wild camping trips fall into two categories. They're either planned around something like a festival or else I just sort of take off in a direction. <laughs> and that's what happened when I came across Allies. Um I sort of knew I wanted to go down the Bear Peninsula. I'm based in County Kerry near Banna Beach. And so I'm very used to being by the coast. So I took off in that general direction and came across it and saw kind of above um, Ballydonagan, I think is the name of the beach, yes. just across the way there from or near the beach, across the way from the caravan park. And it's a lovely caravan park. I should promote the local businesses as well. Um, but there was people camping kind of just above a little river there along the edge of the beach. So I pulled up and I had one of the most beautiful nights there and it was lovely and safe and because safety is important um, as well. You know, you need to feel comfortable where yeah. you are. Yeah, it was particularly, fabulous. particularly a woman on her own, even if you do have mm. dogs with you, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and I kind of, I wrote actually a blog, PJ, um, I can mention it if that's all right. And I did put in some top tips into it. And one of them was safety, you know, to go with your gut. Like if it doesn't feel right, it probably isn't. So you just yeah. need to move on and um, maybe if you're especially if you're female on your own if you don't feel comfortable in a very kind of isolated place there's nearly always people around I tend to set myself up somewhere with an ear or eye shot of other people um, so yeah. that you're not too close but if there's any and it's nice to have a chat I meet some fascinating people as well yeah. um, on my travels so yeah you, you give a very good tip as well on the blog <laughs> practice setting up your tent before <laughs> you go this is written from personal experience <laughs> I thought it might be I thought it might be uh, yes yes a long time ago we took a brand new large tent up to a festival it was sea sessions many moons ago oh, yeah. and it was raining it was dark and there may have been a couple of beers taken yeah. and they took an awful lot of people <laughs> to put up a tent with no instructions I think they got left at home so my advice is to practice with your gear because if you're missing tent pegs when you get there yeah. you're screwed and, and, <laughs> so. and the other thing too the term pop-up tent is a total misnomer mm, yeah you still need to peg them down <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you need to pop them up yeah. the right way too yeah <laughs> 
You do, you do. Yeah. I have a great pop-up tent and they are wonderful, but you still need to know how to do it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Now, bring, yes, bring there's, food you know, with it's you. Great. I, I encourage people to do it. Mm, bring, bring food, bring, yes. Yeah, I mean, look, um, you don't, again, you're not going to be able to microwave anything. No, no. Um, I sort of do a little bit of both. So I love eating out on local cafes. I'm a big foodie, so that for me is part of the attraction of going. And your cork has, cork has some of the fab, most fabulous food around and you have a great food scene. Yeah. But then it's nice to, to make your own stuff and it's real simple. So if I'm only going for one night, my tip is to actually just bring something with you that's pre-made. If you're just going for the night, keep things simple, like overnight oats in a jar for breakfast and maybe a, you know, a curry that you can heat up. So I have a little camping gas. They're very free available just obviously be careful with them make sure, sure you bring the gas <laughs> for them and uh, you can reheat it there and then but easy things to cook like stir fries cook in no length of time you know cooked breakfast if, if that's what you like um so they're really quick and easy and it's a lot cheaper as well if you're trying yeah. to mind your money a little bit or you have a big family to feed yeah. then make your own um, you know, you've all the time in the world yeah. when you're camping, sure. Those little things of making dinner become the big kind of milestones in your day. Yeah. So you can give it the time when you might not have that yeah. at home. In, in a camping shop anyway, there are lots of sort of these boxes that keep the thing warm <laughs> and whatever and those little camping gas yeah. stoves. Fer, Fer, yeah. Fergal was thinking that wild camping was about rubbing sticks, sticks together, but I think we've left that yeah, behind that us. That too. Really? <laughs> no, actually, you can definitely do that. And really? There's um, little flint sticks you can get and things, but you do need dry tinder for it. And obviously, we have a fairly damp climate. So in the interest of <laughs> getting fed, I bring my gas camping stove. Right. Um, and also, then you're not lighting a fire and damaging the ground, you know, so there you be go. careful the where you light is, fires. If the ground is a bit dry, you know. You, yeah. mm, it's very dangerous. You know, Killarney suffered badly last yeah. year, so. You mentioned uh, Alahees. Uh, another favourite mm. of yours is Barley Cove. Yes. Yeah, oh, it's so beautiful down there. Um, that sweeping beach as you drive down. Um, Barley Cove is a little bit more challenging in terms of parking and things. Yeah. Um, and I camped there once in the sand dunes at a very small tent. This is a few years ago. Um, within walking distance of that lovely pier down the end. Yes. <laughs> so I went down for a pint of a sandwich and made my day. Um, but it's nice if you want to, you know, with because you're in walking distance of a lot of places to wander down and enjoy meeting yeah. the locals too. Yeah. Um, and great swimming spots, you know. Yeah. And you, and you love La Hinch, I think. And actually, I think La Hinch is very popular again now because of the television show Smother. Oh, I haven't. I'm yeah. brutal with television. I don't see much okay. of it. Um, but yes, La Hinch. Uh, again, La Hinch is probably one that I've I've upgraded then because I'm getting old. I'm not that old, but I'm just over 40 now. And the night's lying on hard ground. <laughs> starting to hurt me. So I upgraded to a little teardrop caravan, which is kind of like a bed on wheels. For all the world, it's not yeah. a full size. Um, so I do go to La Hinch there, and then there's public car parks and things. They're a bit more noisy, yeah. um, but I have a few secret spots. But I can't share them with you because then I'll meet everyone from your radio show there. Exactly. A solar shower. So, have you yeah. ever have you ever actually managed to make one of those things? A solar shower. Well, you can buy them. So they're a little black bag with a hose, right. and you 
put water into it in the morning time um, or any time really. You have a bit of sunshine, throw it on top of the roof or on the ground or on the top of the car. And that black, the black plastic will soak in the heat <laughs> and it takes the sting out of the water. There's nothing nicer. It's lovely. It's not exactly your Triton T90 like. but <laughs> Well, it's not. You have to conserve the water. <laughs> you wouldn't be washing your hair a couple of times over. like. Um, yeah. But it's good for a quick old dip if you're salty when you come out of the sea or you need to, to freshen up. Um, that's great. So that's my little luxury when I'm away. Everyone slags me, but I do like a shower. Well, if anybody <laughs> if anybody wants to try this wild camping, uh, your website is ebflowyoga.ie. That's the day job, I take that it, yoga. That is correct. That's the day job, yeah. And there's a wild camping um, blog in it. I did, yeah. I write a good bit as well. So I write um, blogs and because I'm near Banna Beach, if you're ah. ever down this way, guys, you can drop me a line and I've lovely events, kind of like a surf and yoga day coming up. So it's nice to kind of tie it into a thing yeah. to go to because then you'll meet people uh, at your event. I know, I know we're all, I know we're all Cork here, like, but Banna, Banna is only a, a short trip from one of my favourite places Stonks on the off. planet and that is Ballyhigh. Oh, lovely. Yes, you were very close. I love Ballyhigh. Very close. There are many times as a young lad on holidays. So, they're gorgeous uh, beaches and this you know places, but yeah. do as well when you're when you're down traveling around like try and get off the beaten track a little bit too is nice you know go yeah. see if you can find a, a quieter spot yeah or if you like being in the thick of it i suppose that's the joy of wild camping yeah, yeah. and if you have a tent all the better because wherever your feet can go your tent can go <laughs> get, the, get the get chips out of the seashell and head off down the dunes and you're that's laughing. it <laughs> that's it yeah Maeve, good to great talk all to you. weekend thanks very thanks much. for having me on pj cheers jen carey take Great care cheers bye-bye Bye-bye. Maeve's website uh, is called ebflowyoga.ie yeah, the dunes of Ballyhigh as a young fella much as the crack we had actually I'm laughing I'm looking here at the BBC just across on the telly in the studio and Wimbledon starts today and I have great memories of being a young fella on holidays in Ballyhigh we used to take a house uh, that was the thing you did back then you took a house for, for a fortnight if you didn't have a caravan take a house about maybe five minutes walk or ten minutes walk up the town and I used to lock myself in to watch Wimbledon and I used to get killed when you go out go out go to the sea go to the be-. I wanted to watch Wimbledon but I, I remember too I was trying to get the picture in black and white on the I'm showing the age now but it was great it was great Kerry's gorgeous uh, thank you Maeve 0818 96 96 96 They did it for the staff, Dermot Kennedy up at Apple Cork yesterday. Nice. Uh, which poses the question, what's the best perk of your job? My boss reckons that the biggest perk of my job is that I still have one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I work for a major hotel group here in Cork, and when I'm going to Dublin, we can go to our other sister hotels and stay for free. And nice. We take care of it. Very nice. That stuff is That's special. nice. A hotel room up in Dublin is about 5 million euros. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. For, for a night out. I work in Jackie Lennox's lads. Say no. Oh. Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool. Exclusively Skoda in the city. Find your next car online at noeldc.com. Open 24-7. Here's one I've been meaning to read for the while uh, for a while this morning. There's a bin man around town um, called Declan McCarthy. And a lot of people have been wondering why we haven't seen Declan for a wee while. Tim Brosnan has the answer to that question. Declan isn't well. He has a bit of a hip problem. 
and has been out sick. So the best to Declan. Now, if you think I'm going to get away with playing I'm Too Sexy at 25 past 11 on a Monday morning at the end of a cold June, I don't think that's going to happen. But imagine we're playing it for him anyway. He's due uh, some surgery and he'll be back to work after that. So our thoughts with Declan and the family and everybody else. Thanks, guys. 0818 96 96 96. Oh, I knew I was right on the name. Thanks for that, Gerald. I'll come back to you. Uh, Natalia, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you guys? Great. Talk to me about Rock to Recovery, which is coming to Cork. So um, it's basically a charity that helps um, veterans, serving personnel, um, emergency services, and it provides them with um, mental health coaching or just talk therapy to get them through any difficulties they're going through. And the great thing is they're completely free. Um, which mm. is an amazing thing because therapy is expensive. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, you're a soldier yourself. Yes. And, and uh, you, you came to prominence through uh, Channel 4, uh, the circle on, on Channel 4. You're, you're, part, you're part of this team and the plan is climb a mountain three times in 15 hours. I know. I know. I don't know why I signed up for this. <laughs> but it's going to be incredibly amazing because we're all going to come together and meet for the first time and then, yeah, attempt attempt this feat. Yeah. Now, not just any old mountain either. Uh, no. Like, Tehran Tuhel, only the highest that, mountain in Ireland, like. Is that how you say it? Because I've been pronouncing it Tehran Tuhel. Okay, there we well, go. Well, well let's, let's do a little, let's do a little, it's not too bad now, that's not too bad. Let us let us do a little a little lesson for you so that when you do land there, it's Tehran Tuhel. Quran Tuhel. Quran Tuhel, well it. done, well done, well done, Natalia. So, so when, when, when are you coming to do it? Um, we're going to be on the mountain Thursday, bright and early, 6am this week. Right. Have yes. you any idea? Have you any idea what it even looks like? I've I've Googled it. It looks pretty steep. Yeah. It's over a thousand feet up. So yeah, pretty impressive mountain. Oh, it's well over a thousand feet. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's well over a thousand yeah. feet. Don't tell me that. I'm just going to go in and yeah. I'll do it. We'll manage it. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 no, you, you did one recently. You walked from Oxford to Buckingham Palace dragging a medicine ball. Yes, but that was flat surface, so it, it wasn't that bad. And it was over six days, so it was about 15 to 20 miles a day. And it was, it was a good jolly, good old walk. So you're going um, up and down Toronto raised... three times in how many hours? Yeah. 15 hours. Yeah, yeah. See, it, 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 it is okay. Do, do you want to know? It's 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 one thousand and thirty-eight meters high. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> and how long do you think it takes to get up it in one go? Oh God, I've six never. Six hours, isn't it? I think so. I've never done it. Yeah, I have well, people. We'll I, the, great, the great explorer Pat Falvey, who's a pal of mine, has been trying to get me up it for years, but no, I've, I've resisted him bravely. Well, come but, join us. Oh, will you stop on Thursday? <laughs> yes, come join us. Everyone can come join us. I struggle us. with the stairs, Natalia. Come on. <laughs> well, who's who's coming with you? 
So it's Mike and Paul. Um, one's a um, head of TikTok Global Security, and, and the other guy is Paul Sampson. He's um, ex rugby player, international rugby player for England. Um, and well, you can follow us on Celtic Venture on Instagram. We don't have very many followers, so we're just wanting some support from you guys because this is this is a brave thing to be doing. And yeah, just a month after my own charity venture, I'm I'm a bit apprehensive, okay. but. Um, and where, thought, and where is the money going to, Natalia? It's going to Rock to Recovery. And tell us charity. about that. Tell us about that. Yes, yeah, so it's it's free. Um, it's free mental health coaching for veterans, serving personnel. Um, completely, like honestly, I've paid for therapy, and it's been thousands of thousands out of my own money. So yeah. it's it's a great service for people that um, are struggling and just want free and partial advice yeah. and help. And would this be for people with the likes of? say, PTSD, who've been at, at yes. war and stuff like that. It doesn't have to be that. Of course, it covers that as well, but it can be anything. It can be anything. And it's also for their families as well yeah. um, who may be struggling. Yeah, Pat Falvey. Now, I would take Pat Falvey very seriously. Um, um, Pat Falvey <laughs> reckons it's about six to seven hours to do Care on Tuchel. Okay, well... And this is the guy who's us. done the seven peaks. This guy's done the seven peaks. And he, this, oh. this fellow leads expeditions to Everest. So he kind of knows what he's on about. <laughs> well, I'm not well, frightening you by any chance, record. am I? <laughs> no, it's going to be fine. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it'll, uh, I'm delighted to wish you well with this. Um, Thank and you so and much. The, the Instagram again is what? Celtic Venture. Celtic Venture. And you're on Instagram yes. and you're on TikTok. And it's all for yes. a fantastic charity, Rock to Recovery, which supports veterans and emergency service workers. And indeed, we have many of them here and many emergency service workers who, let's face it, Natalia, have really put down a tough couple of years. Yes. Yes, absolutely. All right. Okay. Listen, have fun up there. And I'm only messing with you. I know you're, you. I know you're going to do a great job and I know you're going to be, you, you really are going to enjoy it. And I hope the weather improves because it's, it's not the best at the moment. But I no, really it's hope. not in England either. This is the <laughs> peak of summer. Stop. <laughs> Natalia, thank you very much and good luck with it. Natalia from Rock to Recovery going, attempting attempting to climb Kiran Tuchel, at least she knows how to say it now, attempting to climb Kiran Tuchel three times in a day. Which Pat Falvey says takes six to seven hours at a go. 0818 96 96 96. The chip van on the abandoned in the Shannon Road that I mentioned earlier. Uh, his name was Robbie. Yes, it was. And he, yeah, he was there for years, says Ger Horgan. And uh, he, he, he said the county council wanted to close him down and it wasn't on food safety grounds, it was on something, some other grounds. But he was a lovely guy and he, all, he had a good word for every customer. Uh, Robbie was his name. Was he Dutch? I, for some strange reason, I'm thinking he was Dutch. Uh, but he had that little chipper, chipper van. As you're going from Inishannon back to Bandon, why do we say that anyway? Why do we say back to Bandon? Anyway, going from Inishannon back to Bandon, there's a little clearing there on the right-hand side as you're going towards Bandon. And you'll still see it. It's like a little, like little tumble-down caravan now. That was Robbie's chipper, and he had the nicest chips in the whole of County Cork. 
Thanks, Ger. Yeah, we got an email this morning, um, and we're not quite sure what side of this to come down upon. Uh, somebody was very annoyed. At the Lewis Capaldi concert on Friday night at Musgrave Park, umbrellas, because it was a bad night, umbrellas were seized from people by security as they were heading in to the concert. Um, people had brought, I mean, they'd been waiting a couple of years to see Lewis Capaldi and the weather was very disappointing on Friday night and they brought umbrellas and the umbrellas were taken off them by security when they were going in. Now, there are there, there is this view that you can't be taking things like umbrellas into a concert because they could become a weapon. And, you know, in these difficult times that security have kind of no option but to take anything off you that might be used as a weapon. Um, but you can't get them back either. That's another thing. Uh, they're incinerated, believe it or not. I didn't know that. That's a new one on me. But they are taken away and incinerated because you can't really, there's no real way to organise to get them back to the right people. It's just not possible. So thanks for that email. Um, watching the Paul McCartney gig at Glastonbury on Saturday night, which, by the way, if you can get to see a recording of it, watch it. It was just stunning. What a gig. But um, there were flagpoles. <laughs> Flags at that thing. 10 and 15 and 20 feet high. And I was wondering how the hell did they get in there? But at Lewis Capaldi, and I think the same happened at Dermot Kennedy on Saturday night. Uh, umbrellas were taken from people. And you don't get them back. Now I think in the terms and conditions when you're booking it does sometimes say that you can't bring in umbrellas. But look, if it's raining, people are going to bring umbrellas with them. But you're best not to. Like Elton John, Friday, at Parky Cueve. Um, the weather is supposed to improve, but if it doesn't, you're best not to bring an umbrella because they won't let you in with it. That's just the way it is at concerts these days. But it is annoying. Possibly best not to, though. Um, 0818 96 96 96. Yeah. A lot of people upset about that over the weekend, to be fair. Like, there it is, chucking it down. Absolutely chucking it down. They're going off to Lewis Capaldi, they're going off to Dermot Kay, and their umbrella's taken off them, so they have to stand there and get saturated. But the way the security guy looks at it is if, well, if there's trouble, if there's trouble, umbrellas become weapons very quickly. Courts 96 FM. I heard the strangest term recently. I heard of two people who were planning to have an aneception. An a what? Aneception. No, it's got nothing to do with sex, just in case you're thinking. They were having an aneception. What the hell is an aneception? They got married during COVID and they could only have six people at the wedding. Do you remember that? So now they're having a party on their anniversary. Hence the term, aneception. We better catch up with the wedding industry to find out where these trends are going. Louise Moran has the Celtic Knot wedding planning. Louise, good morning. Good morning. How are you, PJ? Good, thank you. It was a most unusual war. You're having a what? And I know it's the most unusual term, but it's 
something I suppose it's come from our COVID times that yeah. we've been through. So it has. And uh, it's basically it's the anniversary reception. So the anniception yeah. is uh, the latest, the latest trend that seems to be hitting us at the moment. And I think it's a fabulous idea because there have been couples, obviously, you know, over the last two years that maybe had to postpone and then decided to go ahead with maybe smaller numbers of the six, you know, when it was allowed initially. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's coming around to the one year anniversary or the two year anniversary. We're allowed to have our celebrations again. So they're now coming along and having their anniversary reception so they're having the reception and the day they would have had with all their family and friends yeah. were it not for the COVID times we were in and so, they're and getting I think the dress and the suits idea. back out they are they are indeed they're getting the dresses back on the suits back on and they're having some like a lot of couples that I've um, dealt with now over the last while they never actually wore maybe the dress or the suits or whatever it might have been when they got married when it was only the six guests do you know what I mean so they've saved it up and they've used it they're using it now for their uh, reception party there have been some that are maybe renewing the vows again in front of the family and friends you know just to relive the whole experience again and uh, are now having that big celebration again it's it's, it's kind of cool now you know, with with new trends like this come come new fashions. Our, our fashions are changed. Things like uh, yes. your wedding favors now. It's it's not just enough to give someone a generic box of sweets anymore. No, it's not, and they're becoming really popular. I suppose everyone is loving the whole personalization at the moment and making things very personalized for your guests that are coming. Trying to show that you've really thought about you know the person that's coming along, like. So instead of, as you say, your generic, your um, sugared almonds, as it was at one stage back in the day, like, you know, or your generic box of sweets or whatever it might have been, they're really going down and personalizing things. So the likes of um, even the little name tags on the tables, they've been cut out in um, wooden or in acrylics. And it's something Mm. that the guest can actually bring home with them again. You then also have... I know it's very and it's a lovely little addition as well because it is a little keepsake to bring home with you afterwards. It's, like, it's not you cheap, know? Louise. And it's not it's not cheap, so it's not and I will say it's like the wedding industry has always been a fantastic industry. It's always been quite a um, an expensive industry. Let's let's yeah. be honest, like you know, it has always been. But I do find what couples are doing at the moment, they're having maybe a smaller wedding, but they're giving a greater impact to their guests. So, you yeah. know, look, we're never going to be we're never going to be rid of the big Irish weddings, like, you know, they're never going to be gone. But what I have seen a lot coming up at the moment is that the couples are choosing to have maybe only a smaller number of guests between maybe 50 and 100 guests. Right. And they're putting all their money into giving them fabulous food, fabulous little gifts that they can bring home with them rather than having, you know, it spread out over hundreds and hundreds of people and not being able to give that same kind of quality yeah. to their guests. Like, you know, yeah. so I am noticing that quite a lot more that couples are choosing to pair it back a small bit really to the close family, close friends and having a fantastic celebration with all of them yeah. and been able to really put their money into, you know, all these gorgeous little details then. Yeah, that, it just sounds really cool. And entertainment is changing too. It is, it is. And it's getting a little bit more um, unique as well. So we're seeing the likes of live painters come in, which I just think it's the most beautiful idea. It's you literally have an artist come in and whether it be at your ceremony or at your reception and they literally paint what they see. They paint the entire, you know, whether it be when you're saying your vows, the couple at the altar, 
you know, saying their vows oh, or whether yeah. it be the reception for the first dance and they paint it live and your guests can see the whole painting come to life oh, at wow. the venue or and I just think it's the most beautiful idea. So it is. And then it's something that you can have and keep in your home then afterwards, like, you know, wow. so and it's becoming really popular. Magicians, jugglers going around in between the courses at dinner like this. They're, they're pulling out the stops here. Because they couldn't They're for so long. Out all the stops, pulling out all the stops. There's been so much. There's fantastic. I've seen um, a lovely couple got married there at the weekend, Maeve Madden. She's a big um, Instagram influencer. And she had a drum corps with Irish dancers outside whilst, you know, like... There's so much going on, so there is. And then definitely food trucks as well are really becoming popular for the evening receptions. You know, to have something a little different, give your guests, you know, if they want that little maybe fish and chips or something, you know, in the evening time after after a bit of a dance on the dance floor, like, you know. Because I remember that that was was a thing for a while, you'd bring in the fish and chips, but now they bring the food truck into the car park. Now they bring the full food trucks. Or what I'm seeing as well is if couples are choosing to get married, let's say, in a church, which is in the decline, I will say, at the moment, but there are still church weddings happening, but they're bringing in maybe ice cream trucks for when the guests are coming out or little coffee carts for when the guests come out that they can have a little beverage, you know, before they head down yeah. for the reception in uh, the venue, like, you know. Yeah. So they're like, they're all lovely little details that have been brought in. It is actually really cool. Like it's, 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 it's big, mm. big changes. And I guess it's, it's the millennials, the millennial generation are, are leading the trends now. It is. And you know what? Like, Pinterest and TikTok have a lot to answer yeah. for a lot, oh, you yeah. know, because... <laughs> I, I speak the word Pinterest through gritted teeth. I know what you're talking about. It is. It's like Pinterest has a lot to answer for, so does, it does, yeah. like, you know. But it, in the same breath, though, it does give some... You can get some lovely ideas from it. Like, obviously, sometimes you can see something on Pinterest and, like it could have cost this person a couple of hundred thousand to create what's been yeah. there and you're like oh well I have you know only a thousand euros I want the same like yeah, you know yeah. and I, I, I'd, like, I'd like that and you're thinking yeah I'd like a Ferrari but you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> well that's it look you have to be realistic and you pinpoint and you take away what you want from it like you know Sabless. it's like I suppose with the likes of Bridgerton coming on you know Netflix like you know that's been a huge um, curve like of people saying you know they want the big floral arrangements uh, they want you know all of the meringue dresses and you can definitely exactly and look you can definitely pull pit, pull bits and pieces from it like you know but mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be absolutely everything you don't have to be in the big stately manner you don't have to have your dress that weighs about 10 tons like you know because of all <laughs> the uh, weight underneath it but you can bring in the small details like having you know maybe in the dresses maybe having corsetry in the dresses like you know yeah. or perhaps in the flowers you know having candlelight like that's a very you know simple yeah. way to bring in that lovely kind of elegant touch like you know and there's small details that you can bring in and everything you don't have to completely break the bank to make it work like yeah. you know well, I think seeing as people couldn't do it for so long they're doing in style now yeah. and, the, and the style is changing and it's great uh, I, the, the new Aniception is definitely a great craze listen Louise thank you yeah. very much Louise Moran from the Celtic Knot Wedding Planning Company she specialises in Bohemian weddings around West Cork I'd look her up and she's got lots of great ideas that's a new one though on me the the the, the Aniception 0818 96, 96, 96 quick reminder to you that Pride Vibes is here with Cork's 96 FM. It's our new online radio station. Uh, the biggest hits and shining a light on Irish life with conversations around the issues 
that matter. Counting down to parades and celebrations across Ireland. It's on the app now, the 96FM app, or it's on the website, or it's got its own website, uh, pridevibes.ie. Pride Vibes, supported by Volterol, the joy of movement, and you can listen live now with Cork's 96FM. Now, I want to go to Stephen, Stephen Doyle. Um, Stephen, you were responsible for this beautiful artwork um, what happened over the weekend? So um, I was um, painting uh, down on Sullivan's Key Mead Street um, for the last few months, and mm-hmm. it was in association with Cork Pride to have this um, arts and residence program. And what it involved um, was um, meeting up with the community and kind of um, painting something inspired by them. Yeah. Um, and Basically, um, on we believe uh, Thursday evening the the works were were, were taken from site. Oh um, and we've uh, we don't know where they've gone. Obviously, um, no one had permission to take them. So um, we've been in contact with the the Gardaí who are investigating currently. Mm-hmm. Um, like it was it would have been very securely con- fixed down, wouldn't it? So yeah, I had um, so they were ninety by ninety uh, paintings on plywood, and they were um, screwed onto the the hoardings um, yeah. outside where the old Foss building was. Yeah, so, I'd seen them as I know, pa- as 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 I was passing, and they're gorgeous, really good work. Oh well, thank you very much. Um, but yeah, I think um, you know anyone who who wanted to take them off would have had to have come down with a with a screwdriver or or. Um, Power you know, drill or something? Tools, yeah. yeah, or something like that. So it would have taken, you know, um, preemptive thought. Yeah, yeah. And why would, why, why would anybody do that? Like, I mean, you know, I, I'm not one for speculation. You know, I think until we until we find where they are or who, who's taken them, you know, we could spend all day kind of coming up with, with theories. Um, you know, somebody could have taken it because they didn't like the work. Somebody could have taken it because they really liked the work. You know, yeah. like it, 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 it could be any reason. However, you know, I will say during the the days that I was down there on site, yeah. you know, I think ninety percent of the people who stopped to talk to me were were lovely people who really liked the artwork or were inquisitive about the project. And, yeah. But there was um, a number of people who kind of spat oh, homophobic so. or anti-LGBTQ rhetoric towards me while making it. Yeah, like um, I know it's quite early, so I won't go into the language that some people used. Um, but you know, people threw stuff at me as well. So it's oh, kind of Stephen. you know. Yeah, look, I mean, that kind of thing is around still. So, I, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm 28 now, so I'm kind of used to it. But, um, you know... That's it, not the it, point. It, you, it shouldn't, you shouldn't me. have to be used. You're just doing some art. Yeah. Writing but, I mean, up a I dirty, it, rotten old hoarding. I mean, that was the idea, but sure. I mean, y- you kind of get used to it, to be honest, with PJ. Oh, you shouldn't have to. You're very calm, to be fair to you. You're very, you're very, very calm. I, you've reported this to the guards, I take it, and all that. Yeah, so I, I noticed this. Um, I noticed this around four on Friday, and I kind of walked straight over uh, to Anglesey and um, I reported it then. So you know, as soon as I was aware of it, they knew about it. 
Yeah. Had they been unscrewed or just ripped off or what? So by the looks of it anyway, um, some of them came out clean. So somebody had a screwdriver and kind of took it, them out. But when they, they got, or when they couldn't get some out, they yanked it. So there's some hinges still left or stuck on to the side of the, the hoardings. Yeah. So and, and you said that you saw this about four o'clock Friday. Yeah. When, so when had you last seen them? So I had seen them uh, the day before and they were there. And um, I've I've been told that they were there until maybe Thursday evening. And then, so we're looking at a 24-hour period. And and any CCTV in the area pick anything up, no? Uh, Well, I had a, I had, I went around and asked um, a few of the businesses as well nearby. And um, it's at a bit of an awkward angle. Um, But we're, we're hoping that, you know, somebody will have seen something. I mean, they're quite large heavy yes. paintings so whomever has taken them um either had a car nearby or parked nearby yeah. or lived you're not nearby gonna, you're not going to take you know, these away under your arm like no it would have you know it, it was either one person who went a very short distance or if it was a bunch of people who organized i'm just going to ask you it. one question Stephen, and it's just come to mind have you thought at all about getting a ladder and looking over the other side of the hoarding to see if they just tossed them over there out of sheer dividend. I did. I did have a look. Um, the if if you go around that site, um, there's a kind of quite large gap in the in the entrance door by where the chain locks, and you'd be able to see it. Um, so they weren't there. Um, okay. You know, yeah, it, right. you can either you can also kind of walk up that hill that's kind of behind yeah, the site and can get an overview, yeah. and there was nothing yeah. in there. Ah, Stephen, look, it's, it's it's awful. It's awful that you just can't have nice things like that, and that some 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 gobshite wants to wants to hurt wants to hurt you just just because you're and, and spit at you and that kind of thing just because you're doing something. Listen, I hope you get your stuff back, and oh, I, and I really do, I really do. And, and uh, Stephen uh, is Stephen Doyle is the artist in residence with Cork Pride, and whoever took those things, I mean, why? Like, what's the point? What's the flipping point? There are a couple of paintings. If you don't like them, walk past them. They make no difference to you. You know, it's the same crack over the weekend looking at the the Pride stuff in Dublin. Some of the nastiness for people for whom it makes no difference. But I hope he gets them back and I hope he can find out who took them. You know, and why? Well, we know why. They're just thugs who ever took them. Thanks for that, Stephen. Uh, 0818 96 96 96. I think that is our lot. It is. That's it. Programme today edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Richard Vickery. And we shall see you tomorrow just after nine. The Two Grand Minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Answer 10 questions to claim all that cash. Stacking up the cash. Yes! Cash! The Two Grand Minute with Foodie and more. Blackpool, Douglas or Eden Hall. From milestone birthdays to graduations and more. Tasty, fresh Asian food at Foodie and more. Casey and Ross in the morning. On Cork's 96 FM.